What's up, viewers and listeners? My name is Jay. I'm a registered nutritionist based here in Bristol, working with BJJ enthusiasts across the globe, helping jiu-jitsu practitioners perform to their best ability on and off the mat, whilst making sure they are not doing anything stupid with those weight cuts they have to do. On today's episode, we had Gary Hewson. He is a very recent black belt under Chico Mendes at Checkmat Bristol. Gary has competed at majority of belt levels. In this podcast, we talked about training at multiple different clubs, losing some body fat how points are better than sub only logging food secret black belt handshakes and much much more thank you for tuning in and of course if you're not subscribed please click that button and turn on post notifications for further updates thank you for watching and listening let's get into episode 15 oos Right, guys, here we are, episode 15 of the BJJ Nutrition Podcast. My name is Jay, I'm the host here. Uh, we help, obviously, with the BJJ Nutrition Consultancies, athletes to perform to their best with the right foods while not doing anything silly with their weight cuts. Now, today, we have our next guest, who is... Gary Hewson. Gary Hewson. Do you want to give us an introduction to yourself, mate, what club you represent, and obviously, your yep. lineage is always a good one. Sure, lineage, yeah. So, Black Belt, out of uh, Checkmat Bristol, under Rich Long, as the head coach here. Uh, we're running out of elite MMA in Avonmouth at the moment. Uh, his coach is Chico Mendes, so we go right back to the sort of founding fathers of Checkmat. I've uh, been training about 11 years, just over. So, uh, yeah, I'm getting an old man in the jiu-jitsu world. <laughs> Starting to feel it. But, uh, yeah. Oh, nice. Well, obviously, for those viewers, I'm, I'm aware of this, but obviously you recently got your black belt. Very recently. Uh, I want yeah. to stress how recently. I feel very... <laughs> That imposter syndrome is a real thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. Well, it's interesting. You'll see, you've got, I don't know, it's probably like that view that 10 years into the jiu-jitsu game that you're mm. going to be at the 10-year mark, the black belt's going to be coming along. You, you start feeling stupid, you don't have it after a while, and you're yeah. like, I should probably get it, and then as soon as you get it, it's like, oh, I'll just be a brown belt forever. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's yeah. kind of like my white belt mentality, yeah. I think. I've mentioned it a few times before that I was always interested in getting the uh, All-Stars Absolute Belt. Okay. And uh, it was like, all right, cool. I was getting, I, was, I already won a few competitions and stuff. Yep. I'm like, wicked, let's go and get his absolute belt type thing. Time to smash some of the white belts. Week before, here's your blue belt. I'm like, fuck, this is not what I wanted. It's, it's double-edged, right? Because you get the psychological boost. Yeah. Like, you, you get your purple belt. It's like, well, I'm not losing 20 blue belts again. Yeah. And the close matches you had with other blue belts, it's suddenly they're not close. You, you're sort of always <laughs> winning because you're just not letting it happen. But then you feel that chase of people yeah. like trying to... And then you have the other the side ales. of it where you're like, oh, a purple belt, and you get smashed by another purple belt, and you're like, fuck, this yeah. is a different wake-up call. This, this is my reality of the last, my first comp at black belt was like, smashed is probably a bit unfair to myself, but took a couple of losses, and it was like, okay, yeah. new, new world. New world. Brown belt was okay, and this has sort of opened up the, the big boys. Yeah, that's interesting. But, uh, um, they always kind of joke, have they, uh, have your black belt levels uh, loaded in, or type of thing, or your superpowers loaded into yourself now? I, any... I wanted the magical powers to sort of kick in earlier. <laughs> uh, we had Chico Mendes for a seminar, and the first seminar was here, and I sort of dodged him. Not that I was trying to duck him. The second seminar, I was up at Worcester, and he's like, oh, we're rolling the next one. And he put dot, 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 like, bit ominous. And I was like, okay. And I was like, be careful, I've got magical powers now. And, uh, didn't work out like that. No, <laughs> I bet you. I bet you realised that as well when you, you did get a chance to roll down here. You probably put it on a hit list. Like where are yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. good within your local club because that hierarchy always usually makes sense in your own club. Mm. Like you can beat the brown belts and they can beat the purple belts, and it all sort of lines up. It sort of has to in your own club, but yeah. 
I like to cross train and dot about and go to different open mats and things. And you yeah. can get some high level purple belts here and there. Definitely. And you get the other way as well. So yeah. it all balances out. I think you're very much in the same club as me of being like a bit of a gym gypsy. Mm. Uh, I know where my home is, as I always say. I mm. know obviously where my original club is, Definitely. but I love going around to other gyms and just rolling with them, which I think is a bit of a controversial opinion because some clubs don't like the idea of people going the to- Crayonch, Crayonch. Yeah, like don't want to go to other gyms and this type of stuff. And I'm like, it's kind of as you said you can find your I don't know where you are in that sort of I know pecking order within your own club mm. right but I couldn't think the only other chance you're going to have trial obviously against other people is going to be in competition yeah and yeah. I think and how often can you compete really I mean even money wise money wise and then there's obviously the drama at the moment I think there's only like two weeks ago three weeks ago you had three major competitions on the same weekend I think it okay. was uh, Somerset Open, mm. uh, Brighton Open, and I think there was an all under. I remember Brighton was back was to back. Empire yeah. as well, I think it was. It was was like it the same weekend? All on the same day. Oh, and it's just like, and you can see why the numbers are sort of diminishing from it and everything. But yeah, I think. And the categories. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to get into this eventually, but the categories, it's getting a little bit out of hand. I mean. Yeah, massively. I think weight, grade, I mean, everything, fair enough, but when you get one match, and everyone I know is getting one match or two matches, and then you just get middleweight blue belts who get like 50 matches, and then <laughs> everyone else is struggling to get a match, it's like, let's mix up a little. It doesn't have to be like freestyle wrestling where you literally have to go against like national champion first day out, but because yeah. it's just weight, but. Mix it up a little bit more, make the categories a bit bigger. Well, I know obviously well, I, I, I sort of float between mass as one and sort of adult, depending obviously on the numbers and stuff. And I, yeah. you know, I'll openly admit that I don't like facing obviously same opponents because I'm like, right, okay, unless I've lost, I'll say if I'm honest, like, because that case I want to try and obviously do one over on them type of thing, because mm. anyone would. I'm, I'm um, in situation right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm signing up to something and chasing them down a weight category. <laughs> um, and then on top of that as well is the case of I don't want to fight people that I know already so like yeah and you train with yeah that's a so bit like because of being a bit of a gym gypsy you end up obviously rolling with different people and like i think even going down to rising tide the other week one mm. of my opponents was a guy i think it was trying to roll with down in there and it was unfortunate but he rolled my ankle that morning which just that's another story for another day but um i was in my head i was like ah oh, okay fine well I can't. But you had someone down there in comp that i was due to fight one of his guys from rising tide um, so you just thought I'd just go down to an open mat sort of thing? No, instead. so in my head I'm like, because we didn't get to do the chance to do the competition, I'm tempted just to pop down there one weekend and go, hey, let's go and have the match that we didn't have to have. Yeah. Um, and it's, again, one of those things which I don't want to fight people that I know because I'm then like, okay, I can't mentally get in the right headspace for it, if that makes sense, because I'm like, I don't know, BFG type of mindset, big friendly giant, I don't want to hurt anyone, not in the interest of just smashing people for the sake of it, there's no mm. benefit type of thing, but yeah. Sorry, back to my original question. What's your thoughts on obviously your cross training? I know obviously you do it and stuff, but do you think there's any sort of pros or cons to it type of thing at all? I think it's all pros. I think the the, the leftover mentality, that Koryanchi thing, people call me that as a joke. Hopefully it's half joking. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, because my work situation, I was originally the Isle of Wight. And I, okay. I basically, I've gone one belt promotion in every club I've been in. And this is sort of the only gym I've done the last two belts. I've done brown to black. So you're due to leave uh, now? Is that what you're planning? <laughs> yeah, where do I go? Someone give me my coral belt, I'll come see you. But um, no, I did. So I did white to blue on the Isle of Wight. And then I was in London working. I did two different places in London. I did a little stint in Japan. we we'll get to that. Ooh. I did Tokyo for six months. Uh, just traveling, but I trained out there. And uh, I ended up here. And so I've sort of done the, not cross training, but I've been about a bit, not mm. You know, just because I had to, because I was moving. Yeah. First thing you do when you find a new town is you find a jiu-jitsu club before yeah. you find anything else. Yeah. And, um, and so it was just natural. As soon as I came here, 
depending on the numbers of your club, <coughs> especially after COVID, we had limited numbers. Some people didn't come back. Some people were scared to come back uh, early doors. So we just, I just naturally dotted about. We couldn't get all our sessions back as well. We did one day a week yeah. um, before we found this place, which is like a godsend. Um, we did one day a week at the Active Centre there, there in Bradley Stoke. And uh, so I had to start supplementing sessions like other places. Mm. And then, so I fell in with... Richard Bino, shout out to Richard Bino. Yeah, Pip, Pip, Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu, he, uh, he uh, sort of put out the message, put out the bat signal, like, free to train here, sort of just turn up, get stuck in, no politics. Um, those guys got a little shout out in the black belt speech. It was, it was one of those things where it just came exactly at the right time, especially brown to black. I was doing that sort of hunting the black belt thing. Mm. I took that quite seriously, the brown belt run. I didn't want to just be that's my two, three years at round belt time served sort of thing. Yeah. I wanted to really make sure I was doing everything I could and getting the sessions in is like the bare minimum. You have to be training a lot. Mm. And uh, so that came right at the right time and it was such a good level there as well. Nice. And then the bank, I've been even at uh, Baja here in Bradley Stoke. There's only a few places I haven't checked out yet, like Bristol Dojo. Uh, I've been meaning to go to AOJ. Mm-hmm. I AOJ, yeah. AOJ. Uh, with, is it Rad there? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I bumped into it at the competition at Somerset, but I mean, meaning to go down to open up there. One of my friends from London ended up there. Yeah, right yeah there. okay, cool. Um, so I want to eventually check out everywhere. Rise and Tide I go to often, it's going to be in there. Um, Worcester with Pool 7. Uh, just get about, why not? Yeah. Different body types, different games. I just don't see the reservation of the cons where people just don't like it. I, I just don't, I, I can understand maybe... I mean, if you're going and getting technique in a class and then coming back, it's, it's only really that, but then again, what technique isn't about now? It's, it's more how your coaching style is, because every yeah. technique exists on the internet. Exactly. It's yeah. how you convey it. I think I can understand the reservations of, I don't know, someone's trying to nurture you to obviously level up your skills, and when you're going to other clubs and having that interfering thing, or this guy tells me to do it like this, or mm. she tells me to do it like that type of thing, where I can see that 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 frustration kicking in if that makes sense or mm. as I kind of said to you I know where my home is in the sense that yep. I'll get the majority of my classes done and like sessions and like where training done in, in a particular place yep. but it's kind of like I don't know <laughs> going out for a restaurant meal on the weekend type of thing I'm like oh let's go to an open mat somewhere else and just see how the especially when you get to dr- you, you drill a technique let's say which your club's been doing mm. Other clubs are going to be very unlikely to be doing that same technique on that week type thing. Yeah. To then go and do it in an open mat, you get a real live reaction from it, I feel. And then you can see, does this work? Does this not work? What other details have I got to change type thing? And I think that's, that's an attribute to it. So I think we've all been there where we've been, I don't know, doing foot sweet drills, right? We all know your partner that you're training with has to give you a very natural reaction yeah. for it to work. Otherwise, you're just kicking each other's shins all the time type thing. Yeah. And there's no better environment to do that in, like I said, an open mat. Or it's going to be the competition floor, which by then, do you really want to be trying a new technique on the competition floor? Probably exactly. not. So it's a bit You can't get enough technique and different looks at different positions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was training with Mark, Mark Hibbs. Yep. And we were just literally randomly a few days before we did London, just looking at a position, and he likes to come more off and side control, and I try and counter it. Not that successful really recently. <laughs> I think someone at Apple Best tried to do that as yeah, well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's got a decent come Yeah. Um, and then we looked at something about how to reverse the position, I think on top, and then it just came up a few days later with the London, and he directly used it to win the match. That's um, cool. And it's like, I think, or at least it went into yeah. whatever to win in the match. But... Uh, I like, I like that, the idea that you just see like tiny bits of details here and there. And I remember, was it Dan? I think it's Farsahabi talking about George, mm. St. Pierre, 
and saying that, you know, if you're a few weeks out from a comp, there's only so much you can improve your cardio. Yeah. But you get one tiny detail on how to sort of escape a really sunken guillotine or something, and that mm. can be literally win or lost sort of territory. Yeah. And um, the tiny little detail, if you can remember it and it comes up, and it's right. My guy in um, my first brown belt match, I, I was playing a lot of 50-50, and I used that to basically win the match. Um, ended with submission, but I was trying to get up on points with these sweeps. Everyone yeah. hates 50-50, I know, apologies. <laughs> but um, he said, oh, I've only just started drilling that this week before. So he had a little bit in the, in the tank, but it was like, <laughs> not enough. I was like, he's only done it the last few days. And um, if he'd have been doing it all that month, maybe I wouldn't have got the result. But it's, you can't get enough, do you know what I mean? So cross-training is just another way of just seeing different techniques. I, uh, I had a bit of a similar moment, which went against me more than anything else, right. in the sense that I went to uh, one of Drake's uh, competitions they had. Uh, they're doing an all-in-house type of thing, which anyone oh, can I've seen those, yeah, yeah. They're looking pretty decent, to be fair. And uh, I, well, as you probably know, I enjoy single AX as well. Anyone who sees any highlights of mine, I do it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and I try my best when I go to competitions. First couple of matches, do something else different, right? And obviously, if you're really struggling, we'll go to your favourite. Oh, man, that's, that's like, against my religion. I right? do the same thing every time, yeah. <laughs> right, try a bit of different. Obviously, again, there's a different level of expertise, mate. Obviously, where I am in comparison to you, definitely. Um, in the sense, you're way further than I am. Um, but yeah, it's the case of when I did the first couple of matches, first one got a takedown, side control, got his back, eventually just subbed him with a really naked choke, awesome. Uh, second match was the Kimura from, I think it was like from North-South, again, wicked. So you were actively trying different things each match? Yeah, they, again, I still liked the movements from it, so in terms but of... Is it round robin, their format no, of Drake? No, there, there was... But you get a lot of matches, right? You get a lot of matches, so there's about three... So you can experiment. You can experiment with stuff, but um, the techniques I used for it, again, like, I really enjoyed them and probably drilled them quite a bit in mm. terms of that, so again, it might be just the fact, obviously, I'm still in a blue belt and I haven't got many to choose from. Um, That's good. Had that, and then the last opponent again. I he got it got in my head. I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy looks jacked and juicy and just huge and everything. Back like to this. single leg. X. And I'm like, right, do you know what I haven't? He hasn't seen me do single leg X yet, so maybe this will be in my locker, right? Pulled it, locked it in, and I was like, cool. He's obviously got got the sweep for it, which is wicked. Mm. I was really lazy with my outside foot, to which then he grabbed it and started pulling on it straight away. And I was like, right, and tried to get out of it, a little bit of two and a throw, and so I think there's a couple of moments with that. And eventually he then got the submission, which I'm a little bit pissed about because the ref actually said, oh, I've seen enough now, it didn't even let me tap to it. Oh, really? And I was like, right, not to get into it. I guess it's just like a interclub, they're just trying to keep him safe I, I, down there. I don't get into too much politics, but again, when you're you like, let me die, let me die on my sword. <laughs> I let my leg to snap. Yeah. Um, so it, it wasn't on my ankle, it was more my fucking shin bone. It was like afterwards, I was like limping a bit. I was like, Jesus Christ, that was enough. Speaking to the guy afterwards, like, mate, me and my brother, my twin brother, we drill single leg X all the fucking time. Oh, okay. And I was like, he's ready for you. Fuck sake. Of all no, because he looked you up, though. No, I, yeah, that's, uh, that's even worse. And I was just like, of all moves to go and pull on He said, mate, when you're doing that, when you're taking that guy down, taking his back and all that type of stuff, I was like, shit, this guy's good. And I was like, so I've gone to the move, which you know best of all. And I could have just played <laughs> And I could have just played the normal game in the first place. And I how how like, do you feel about, uh, I wouldn't say studying tape sounds a bit. Yeah. formal for like our level but just like looking into it I know I speak to Richard Bino about this and he sort of doesn't look anyone up doesn't even want to look at them doesn't want to see them and he just thinks well I'm just going to run my game on anyone yeah which which to be fair he can he can I think it, it goes both ways I think it depends on the level which you're trying to assess this all if that makes sense right yeah if you're going at really high end and have enough time and enough confidence within your own game yeah. I think it's only going to be an attribute to you 
to see what's going on, mm. right? And so again, we'll use an example here. Obviously, we're working with Shane, obviously, as well as Mark, right? When Mark obviously got the qualified to do the English Open, mm. right? Um, and obviously, Shane was his first one. Um, we obviously said to him, like, okay, right. Well, Shane it was like an it. absolute bracket sort of thing, wasn't it? Yeah. The, the, it's like the professionals. Yeah, they called it a pro league, which is another interesting conversation as well. Um, but yeah, obviously. It's probably giving me some money sort of thing. Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> um, so yeah, speaking to Mark, Mark, I was like, Mark, obviously, these are the things that Shane likes. Sorry, Shane, obviously, this is before working with you. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's one of those things, I was like, these are the things that he likes, type of thing, may want to watch out for this, this type of stuff. Mm. And Mark's like, yeah, I did see all that beforehand. So, so he I, did look. He, Mark looked, obviously, it could be down to personal preference, it could be down to a mindset thing about I'm going in and doing my game. I just think if I was in those person's shoes, and again, I'm not here to discredit them because Rich is fantastic, I'm not saying I'm anywhere near better than him in the slightest bit. Um, I just think it's very useful to see if you're seeing patterns appear which you're aware of what's going on, right? Mm. Why is he sweeping me this way? Oh, this is because he likes to transition here, mm. right? I'd rather have that knowledge rather than be completely naive, in, naive into it and kind of in fresh open water, if that makes sense, yeah. I, it definitely goes both ways because I think almost always I think that's the way to go. If you find out they're Commonwealth champion in judo, it's like... You, yeah. you know what your path to victory is and what isn't. Your ass is getting to that floor. <laughs> you're <laughs> sitting down. You're big <laughs> but, um, but then again, there's weird things you can throw judokas off with in stand-up as well. Mm. And they're very much, they've got a path they like on yeah. the feet. And so maybe it's still good to know. That's what I think the point is. It's good to be aware of it. It doesn't mean you need to game plan completely around it, right? I yeah. think the only difference would be is that if it's very obvious, with obviously a lot of these sub-owning competitions come out, you've got a leg locker in front of you, yeah, then I would be there drilling all anti-leg lock defence, all this type, well not anti-leg lock, I mean leg lock defence. You may as well make it your whole camp, just you might like, as well make it, yeah, Especially if this person's, I don't know, got a 12-week stri- winning streak of hill hooks and everything else, yeah. right? that to me is obviously quite obvious, but again, it doesn't take much research to look into it to kind of go, right, this is this guy's game. And then from there, do you have to change your whole style? No, but you need to be aware of it. I think Crocker mentioned about it in the sense of like, can he do Baron Bolos? No, he's not the best at doing them in the slightest bit. However, he knows what's happening when it's being done to him. And he's yeah. like, whoa, hold on here. Let's obviously sort this out. And that's where I think it's going to be, it'd be quite useful for people to look into type of thing. But um, the only caveat I see is when it, you get into your head, when you, when you, one of my guys at Brown Belt, the only match I lost at Brown Belt, I didn't compete a lot, that sounds better than it is, but the only match I lost, I researched the guy like I always do. I think everyone um, does, since they click that submission on Smooth Conf, who have I got, what, yeah, where are they from? Straight on, there? and AJP, and looked him up, YouTube, as far back as I could, Facebook, I'm full on detective mode. <laughs> and, um, What's his third ex-girlfriend's name? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Natasha, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll text her, has he got any, <laughs> any new injuries? Any? But, um, uh, I just found out he was, he was good, do you know what I mean? He'd been in Brownbelt a long time mm. and, it, and it got into my head and I wasn't getting much nerves as much in Brownbelt as all the other belts. Yeah. And for that one, I was like, I didn't go out to lose, but I was like, this guy's good and whatever happens, he's a good level and you just don't really want that mental. I, I want to go out maybe yeah. fresh mentally in the sense that I've, I've got a shot. So I've, uh, and, the, and the, the very last guy at Brownbelt, I thought, he had done the same thing to absolutely everyone. He pulls guard straight to one bar big, big Polish guy, and he's mm. like huge, big hands, and he's like strong like an ox. Pulls straight to armbar, yeah. and I, I fought him at Bristol Open, mm. and uh, head to one, and he'd won it in 2019 at Brown Belt, and this was now we're like 2022 or something, yeah. or 2023, and uh, he'd won it 
back then with the same movie and put it all over Facebook. Like, this is how I beat everyone. And then I started looking up his back, and it was always like 10-second submission, arm bar from close guard sort of thing. And uh, so I was ready for that. Yeah. And he got his grips, and he pulled hard, and I pulled back so hard that he went, oh, thanks, and just stood up with like an ankle pick because I'd overcommitted away from the arm bar. Okay. And he just bounced straight onto the... Th obviously, he's got this little one-two punch thing, and yeah. he's like, the arm bar's not there. They pull back too hard. But he caught everyone with this arm bar. To the point where after my match, a friend of mine, my first ever brown belt match, a guy called Jacob, yeah. who's now a black belt, shout out to him, in Swindon, I think he's based. He, uh, I, I said to him in the absolute he had him, because I went home, I took my gold and went home. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, I said, he's going to do this. And he's like, yeah, oh, yeah, so yeah. Did yeah you, so, so did you get the gold? Did you beat him in the end? I ended up beating him. Was, you know, I got lucky, but he was, he was all over me to start with. And I very easily could have lost that match. He made a mistake towards the end. I managed to capitalise on something. But... Very easily, he could have just smashed me and got on top. And it would have been, because I looked him up, I overcommitted. But if I hadn't looked him up, well, he'd just cut me straight in the armbar. So I, I think of it, it saved me more than the other way. But I can see how it goes the other way. And you can go, that's their strength. And almost... Because people with a good move are ready with the predictable defence to capital, you know, yeah. to do something with that. But, then, but my friend then got caught in that armbar in the, in the absolute, even though I said he's going to do this to you. And was the guy went out and did it to him. Was it in like 10 seconds again straight away? Yeah, wow. yeah. It, was, it was early on. He pulled straight to it and I said, he's going to do this. He did it to me. He does it to absolutely everyone. If it's on, it's on. If not, he wrestles up and does whatever. And even though he's, you know, he has headphones on, he's trying to get in the zone. He's like, yeah, all right, all right, all right. But um, it happened to him, even though it was going to happen because it wasn't like, maybe took it as seriously as advice for like, because I'm, I'm deep into that like research people thing. But it's... Yeah. If you're facing Gary, what? he's going to be looking up yeah, everything yeah. on you. <laughs> What's scary is when other people, because I'm so into it, like Mark yep. will go, here's my guy, have a look at him. I get, <laughs> I get, he sends you the and, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll look into stuff and then I'm like, what do I do with this information? Do I, you know, if he loves whatever a leg lock, do I say, don't play the leg lock game with him? Yeah. And then Mark's in his head and like, doesn't want to do it when he could have subbed the guy with it. You, you never know. I think, like I said, I think it's just useful to be aware of their preferences. I think that's going to be useful for any, even if you go back to wartime tactics, right? Oh, they have just a ginormous navy and just overpower all your ports and that type of thing. Yeah. Mm. At least you're aware of what's going on. And so when it does come about, you can expect obviously the outcome for it. For yeah. yourself. But yourself. what do you do for other people? That, for other that, people. I'm not a coach to anyone. Do you know what I mean? That, no. that, that, that feels a bit like... It's, it's like I said, it's tricky, and I think if people are asking for you, so I, do you know what I learned from this recently? Actually, um, we obviously I do work with other people outside of jujitsu. Obviously, I've got my other nutrition consultancy, which works with like MMA, CrossFit, general people, Karen at Weight Watchers, you name it, type mm. of thing. Shout out Fat Trev, um, <laughs> love Fat Trev, uh, and he had a pull out from his match. Mm. And he was already the underdog for this MMA fight. Mm. Uh, and his pullout then obviously, the pullout happened. And they said, oh, we've got another guy coming in. He was a bit of a vet. He's fought on Bellator. He's fought on this. He's from Brazil, blah, 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 blah. And I said before he even asked, I said, mate, I think it's just all going against you. Yeah, you've had a really tough fucking fight. Oh, you gave him a pep talk. Nice. I, and I, <laughs> I thought I was doing the right thing with this. And yeah. I was like, you've had a tough fight camp. You've had a lot of other stuff you're trying to give him the underdog speech yeah and I was like right there's a lot of stuff going on for you here mate and it's this is going to be a bit of a uh, coming out party for him on, on the promotion and stuff I can't say too much otherwise it gives a bit away the person I'm speaking about here but um, 
and I don't think it's going to be the best move for you. I'd rather you come into this, even if you are an underdog, with a better, more fluid fight camp, or better things. Oh, involved. you talked him out doing I, it. I, oh, I, okay, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, I talked him out of it. I said, look, you've had a change. I thought you meant he was fighting anyway, and you're like, this has got no hope. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I was trying to outline it, because he had, obviously, the matchup that he had already was like, okay, the guy he's fighting is pretty fucking solid, right? Mm. It's not as if, like, this is like, again. So he, he was aware of that already being an underdog in that fight, right? Uh, three weeks out, he, the guy's pulled out, right? So I'm like, all right, fair. The guy's given at least some notice. The alternative, however, was not, again, the most easiest of matchups. As again, a veteran in the sport. A guy, obviously, has done major promotions elsewhere, mm. right, which you see on TV and this type of thing. Uh, and, again, has n they have no idea on what his styles are. So they've been training for a particular style, and then all of a sudden this guy's completely different and was like a southpaw. Right, and mm. it's just like there's a lot more variables to this now, right? Yeah. And you're already starting in a lower position, and you've had a lot of family issues go on or issues outside the camp, obviously, that causes this. This has not been a smooth camp in the slightest bit, and now you've got another variable on this. And I then said to him, If you want my opinion, I wouldn't do it, yeah, right? I know this is a big opportunity for you to get on this big promotion, all that type of stuff. However, I want you to at least be like 40 60 rather than like 80 20 right now, type thing. Yeah, mm. and it'd be more in your favour. Uh, he didn't take that advice. Was like, I'm going to head anyway. Absolutely fine. And it then dawned on me. And I said, "Look, I'm a nutritionist. I'm not a fighter. I'm not a coach. Mm. And it shouldn't be my position." And I think the biggest thing is that he didn't ask for my opinion. And I was like, in that instance, then I need to shut up and then do my job, which is if he needs to make a certain weight, we make him get him set with a certain weight. Mm. Right? Anything else we need to consider, fine, would be there support him type of thing. Okay. Uh, had the news this morning his uh, new opponent is also pulled out oh okay with eight days notice um, so again it's a little bit frustrating but I said to him mate whatever you decide that's it but I think that's my point being to this <coughs> long last fucking story is my left leg's gone numb Jesus Christ <laughs> um, is if people want your opinion on stuff yeah as a coach as an individual as a friend as a rolling partner as long as they ask for it then it's absolutely fine I think even if they ask for it there's still times where it's like they should I, shouldn't I? They, they need to be in a position to take responsibility of their actions, yeah? Yeah. It's like them saying to people, I don't want anyone to warm me up before the match. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, even though it's not exactly identical context, but yeah. I know you've obviously, we've been at competitions before, you're like, oh, do you want me to roll up and everything? I was actually really fucking sick as a dog that day. I remember. <laughs> I remember. I you went a bit pasty. <laughs> mate, I was horrendous. I did the first match and I was just basically I'm just trying to... I was standing. Mate, I was just trying to get points for the club because there was a big push within the club to do that. And I was like, if I, get, if I win one match, I'm into the bronze straight away type of thing. So technically it was a default bronze. Uh, so, but got the first match done. I came off and I was just dead. I was just like, nothing. I had a conversation with producer Tom who was running helping run the um, at the show at the time he mm. that messaged me the next day like you okay dude and I'm like how are you you right? like yeah I spoke to you like for half an hour yesterday I don't remember that wow. <laughs> I was just gone but um, yeah that was just anyway I think comp runs you down more than anything anyway oh, even if you, I, I was cornering a, a guy that I met on back on the Isle of Wight when I go back to see my, my family my parents yeah. I go to my original club Nice. And I, and I trained, but there's a blue belt there, and he said he was doing the Somerset Open, and I know what that involves. He's got to do car ferry, an hour, <laughs> he's got to get up here, two and a half hours, you know, the petrol, everything involved. He spent hundreds, yeah. and he's probably spent over 200 quid. And he's, uh, he's not hoteling it, so he's up there, and I see him there. I told him to mention me before, and I see him there, and I was like, oh, mate, I'll call you. And I was calling him all day. He did all the gi, he did really well. I think he gold in the gi, silver in the no gi, I think. Nice. And has that big that big gap in between, and then did, and he just sat around and did the no gi. It's a long day, and at the end yeah. he was just like white, yeah. and he was like, I was like, mate, you need some 
jelly babies. You need something. something yeah. I was like, mate, you've been here all day. You've smashed all. You're in your head and you want to compete, and it's like you haven't eaten all day. Yeah. You're looking a bit waxy, and like, get dinner before you drive home. Well, here's a good thought for you. So I decided, obviously, with my, my, my type one, is it is sometimes quite tricky, obviously, trying to manage all that in, in the mix of everything. And I ended up deciding, I think, probably about a year and a half ago, to when I'm doing competition, I'm either doing ghee or no ghee. Okay. Not doing ghee, no ghee, absolute, and trying to do the quad goal type thing. Yeah. I just think for the amount of rolls and adrenaline. I only do one. I yeah. can't do the gap in between. No. I, I've had well, it, it went the opposite of black belt. The guys that I fought 9am in the morning had a 10 minute turnaround and then they had to do no gi and they were like, no, 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 no. But it had been structured <laughs> for them to get it done. Brown and black belts, they want to get it done early because they know they're going to go off and coach all day yeah. and the kids. And uh, my, my second opponent literally had his own kids there and he had to corner them. He had to corner one of his kids between the gi and the no gi and then run back <laughs> over there. That's class. And uh, uh, one of the one of the guys, uh, the first guy, the guy that beat me, was like, "Oh, let's do podium first. And he was trying to stall the the organisers, like you know, as much as he can, just to get a bit of a break. Yeah. And it's like the turnaround was so crazy. So that's like the other extreme. Yeah. Doing gi and then no gi and. I just I I, I think personally, like again, a lot of obviously top level athletes would say this as well, in the sense that they well, if they're going to do something in particular, say no gi competition, that's what they will obviously put all their eggs in one basket and they'll yeah. keep into that or gi or etc. Don't get me wrong, I appreciate it can be different from hobbyists and different level belts and just getting the experience and the mat time type of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think there's certain competitions out there that do that round robin style, which I think is absolutely perfect for grapple industries. Obviously, is one of them that comes to mind. I really love that tournament. Mm. Um, and I think from that point onwards, I was like, especially some of the people who did the gi round robin to begin with, then gone to the no gi, you could tell they were not 100% at that point. No. It may have been 90, they may have been 80, but you could tell instantly. And a lot of them after was like, you've only just done the no gi thing. I'm like, yes. They're like, you a no gi club? I'm like, no, we do gi and no gi. I yeah. just said, like, do you know what? I'm just putting, I'm focusing on these three or four matches, getting my job done, going home, and then that's it. Type and the training all the time, such an edge. I know the, the elite boys, you know, is it Somerset? Uh, Bridgewater, yeah. That's Bridgewater. The they just do, the, just do the no-gi, and they rock yeah. up to the locals, and they just do the no-gi. It's like, it's an advantage, you know? You just mm. do no-gi all day long, every day. My main training is probably gi, so that's all I enter at the moment. Mm. But I've just started coaching. These Wednesday nights, I'm doing no-gi. So I'm coaching the no-gi, so I'm getting back into... It's just all on muscle memory at the minute from years and years, <laughs> but I used, to, I used to prefer no-gi. Yeah. So I'm getting back into it, but uh, nice man. Um, I know we've got a massive time in it, as we normally ask about your sort of comp uh, competition history and obviously what weights you've done and that type of thing. Sure. So um, let's go straight back to the beginning of like white belt, blue belt, much competition in those white, days. Or white belt was rough. I've only done a few. My original coach, yeah. uh, Martin Dell, said I just want you to compete at every belt, which I think that's pretty standard. I think a lot yeah, of people say um, just get at least one in in every belt, just so you can have a little feel what it's like before I'll promote you to the next one. And uh, he was pretty consistent with that with all his students. Um, so I only did a handful at White Belt, my first ever, because it was the Isle of Wight. Like I said, it was car ferries, it was traveling. I think Devon, I think um, Dorset and Hans, we did. Um, did, you ever, did you bump into Crockett as the, the Yuki King? <laughs> no, I didn't. I wouldn't have known if I bumped into him back then. But yeah, um, I remember traveling all that way with a team of people and my first White Belt match was, just went out and got ankle locked in seconds didn't really know what an angle it was i've been training whatever eight months and i went off to side just distraught and the guy came over to me and started telling me how to defend an ankle lock in yeah. front of my coach he's like mate just <laughs> just, get it, just give him a, give him 10 minutes maybe yeah. but um 
So we did a lot of that because of the traveling and stuff. It was made it worse. Yeah. But uh, white belt was a bit rough. And then I didn't get to compete at blue belt, which is like the biggest one for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, my coach in London, I said, please don't. He said, how would you feel about getting your purple? I said, please don't do it. I want to compete at blue belt. And then next week he gave my purple belt. <laughs> I was like, I really wanted to, you know, at least get one or two at, purple, uh, at blue belt. Yeah. And then purple belt, I hadn't competed in something like six or seven years or something since literally really? since white belt white belt we were doing interclubs and stuff and some yeah. nogi we're mixing with the mma boys in southampton where they let let's do leg locks and stuff and that was yeah. all, all good fun because our coach let us do like knee bars and stuff so we had fun with that and then purple belt was a uh, first one was bristol open three four out three rounds three submissions got destroyed by everyone okay and then because I'm a bit weird and analytical, I, I literally wrote down everything I did wrong, yep. competition-wise, and I was like, what points did I do wrong? It's all tactical stuff. I, I, can, I consider it like testing well and training well in, in the club, you know? Yep. I was like, I'm not testing well. So, like, what can I do better? And every single point that came up in those matches I addressed and then went out and got gold or one, two, two, three matches in the next one at Cheltenham. Mm. And uh, so I was happy with that, and it's one of those ones where you compete where you once at the belt. Yep and get destroyed, and it's like, I won't do that again. Or you do it all the time until you can make something happen and actually learn from it. I was like, I've got to go one or two ways of this. And so uh, that's what I did. But, uh, and then brown belt competed a handful of times. Yeah. That was more like the black belt run. I just wanted to get a bunch under my belt. Yeah. And uh, once a black belt so far, just once, and we're not talking about it. Okay. No, I'm joking. So next question, what was it like? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Black belt, uh, black belt, no, black belt was fun. I mean. Out of all, because brown belt felt like more serious because I was like, I wanted the result so I could then go, right, someone gives me a black belt. I've got I beat everyone a brown belt and it's, I felt like I sort of did that. Yeah. One of my guys I beat, that guy, the Polish guy, went on to like double gold British. Like MMA math, it doesn't really work out. I can't say I could have gone and won British because it's a different day, different <laughs> opponents. But um, Mark was there and he said he made it look pretty easy, beat everyone double gold. I'm like, okay, at least I'm at the level and then yeah. he's black belt. Everyone I beat at brown belt has got to black belt. Yeah. So when I got mine, I was like, fine. You know, I don't feel that imposter syndrome can go down a little bit. Mm. But um, black belt, first one out, I didn't feel nervous because I did feel, which is opposite how you probably should. I know people take it really seriously, but I didn't want to go out and lose. Yeah. But I felt like I'm having a bash and no one remembers your losses. I just want to get a bunch under my belt. I signed up and I was, I was on holiday. I wasn't training for two or three weeks before the comp, and I was like, that's not ideal. North Somerset, yeah? Somerset, I yeah. I think I saw you on there, so I was looking to catch up with you to, again, extreme sport of dog walking and rolling my ankle, but yeah. yeah, sorry, carry on. That was one of those ones where I shouldn't have looked up the guy. My first guy was, I think he, he lost one match in his last 20, and it was against Ross Nichols. I'm like, and he'd come, he was, he was adult, yeah. and we all got mixed down to adult. Yeah. So I think he was 30. It's not a massive difference, but he was ready, professional MA guy, and he's ready for 10-minute rounds. Yeah. They gave us the five-minute rounds, which was nice, but still called it adult. So I guess being a, a local tournament, they can just do what they want. Yeah. I was happy. I got five. I was dreading doing ten-minute rounds. But that was one of the ones I was in my head a little bit. So I was yeah. like, he's obviously decent. But I basically, when I go out of comp, I basically, it's just a little battle with myself psychologically. I want to run my game, mm. uh, what I've been working on the club that I know works for me, and I basically don't want to bottle it. I've been to comps where I'm like, I'm doing this, and then I get out there, you know, just, just try something. Oh, I feel like this judo throws on, and just like try it. And it's like, what have I done? I've done that before. Um, sorry to interject, it was literally, I think, is one of my first competitions at Blue Belt. Mm. Uh, I actually had an experience before, I didn't realize the grappling industry is the absolute, it's all belts, all submissions, and no game. 
Okay. So I didn't realize that until about two days before. And so I had a kind of experience of going into blue belts because mentally in my head, I was like, I'm going to get steamrolled by a competitor at blue belt type of thing. First match, I was up 10-4, I think it was. I was on the guy's back before they reset. Stupid error. Don't ever cross your feet, kids. So that was a fucking error. <laughs> <early. laughs> um, and then obviously that, that talked my fucking knee. Next match was a guy who's a bit more of a regular competitor. Wasn't, I was more, I feel like, dominant within the match. I didn't get any points at the time. But again, a very easy, he uh, he rolled out from a turtle, kept his legs wide open. I was like a kid in a candy shop, like, oh, let's go and grab a hip, like this mm. type of thing. And then he's armbarred me straight away, belly down. I was like, ugh, typical. But that was my first experience of blue, uh, fighting a blue belt, and I was technically a white belt at the time. Next competition, a blue belt, that's your story of like trying something new. Coach in the corner, like, yeah, he's, like, he's not moving, like, he's, he's being really stationary, do something. And in my head, I was like, oh, I've seen this on Instagram. So you did something. And I grabbed both of the pals, and yeah. I'm like, yeah, you see it on Instagram, they just dropped their knees and turn over their shoulder, and they just, they just fall on the floor. So what I do, grab that, turn around, drop to my knees, and I'm like, why is he not in front of me? What's going on here? Why is it? Next thing I just see a hook being put in from here, and I'm like, oh fuck, he's about to take my pack. And I'm yeah. just like, Jesus Christ, what have I done here type thing. But I think we've all done it at some so point. So to me, a win in competition is just, did I execute the game plan? Yeah. That's a win, because I'm fighting against myself, wanting to try dumb stuff, stuff that's not in my game. Yeah. And uh, so, obviously you want to win. I'd be happy to have won those matches at Black Belt, but... I did my game plan. Mm. I've been playing a lot of close guard in the yeah. gi, and I just went out the second match, I got to my close guard, I did everything I wanted to do. It was nil-nil at the end, it was ref decision. And um, I couldn't get out my close guard, I was threatening stuff. That's, it's a win in so much as I didn't go out and try and judo throw the guy. You know? <laughs> so like, I take it, I've had lots of comps like that. So um, the psychological aspect of it, of dealing with nerves and going out and just, just doing what you're supposed to do, yeah. Is, is the battle for me and then everything else is just gravy <laughs> that's good man that's interesting to hear and, and you, you see what works and doesn't work one of my best matches was the end uh, my last match with Purple Belt against this big lump and uh, he, he got some sneaky Ezekiel on me right at the end but it was back and forth mm. on points and we both got a bunch of sweeps and uh, I saw stuff you know lapels wrapped around the legs he was using it for double legs and wrestling up on me and i never felt anything like it like mm. he literally walked me back to the center of the mat and i just went whenever you want take me down i have no <laughs> clue what's going on my hips are locked i don't know what you're doing and uh it's one of those was like in real time i was like i'm going to take this back to the club and have yeah. a think about what this is later but i got but i got three different variations of butterfly sweep on him and that's what i've been working on in the club oh, so i was good. like i take that as my win yeah to know some people just want the win or loss and they need the medals and they're trying to build a, you know, almost yeah. like a comp career or something. And I'm like, I can go back and at least show, you know, if I'm teaching now, I can go at least at that that's, level, these butterfly sweeps work. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's one of these mindsets, especially for white belt, my mm. new white belt is that I learned pretty quickly from my original club, which is an MMA club, mm. right? That especially when it comes to open map, no one's going to give you anything for nothing, right? And so... Mentally, you obviously walk into the jiu-jitsu environment going, yeah, I want to sub someone. Yeah, yeah. I want to win the match type thing. Yeah. Even though in, in a club environment, you really do sort of point systems, right? It is just simple sub or move on to the next round type mm -hmm. thing. And it didn't take me long to realize that, hold on, even though we're not doing points, if you're able to sweep this guy, that's a bonus, yeah? Mm. And if you get pounded for the rest of the fucking match, cool, wicked, no problem, but mm. you got the sweep on a very game person. I yeah. think your kind of perspective there on saying, right, okay, Match didn't go my way, or it was a stalemate, it went to the decision. However, against another level component, like level, like 
competitor against me, I was able to pull off the things that I've been working on, type yeah. of thing. And that's like very admirable to say that, right, that's a big win. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And then from there, it's like, okay, cool. What didn't go so well? Okay, cool. Well, we need to work on not getting my legs wrapped up in a lapel and being taken down yeah. type thing or whatever it could be. So, how, how do you train in the club? Do you have points of mind when um, you're sparring all the time? At the moment, we're doing ADCC systems. So, everything. Well, is well that point set, you know, that yeah, rule set. That, you that have that in set. mind. Uh, so at the moment, within the classes, in the competition classes that we're doing. But you're conscious moment. of what I mean when sparring at the end, you're like, am I up uh, or down? A little bit. Depends. If, if, if I'm getting close to competing myself, I'll start keeping it in mind in the sense that if I'm in side control, uh, I will then move on to a neon belly to just get more points, basically, or cause a nice reaction from it, okay. type of thing. Um, but you'll know at the end of the round, even if it's a friendly match, like I was up or down. No, I don't think people would even say it like that. I think it's just next match. But mentally, I've gone into that match kind of going, right, okay, let's see if I can score points on this person. Yeah. Obviously, again, I think we've got a culture where we want to go for submissions more mm. so than anything else. Like, yeah. don't let it, obviously, because <clears throat> as sure as you're aware, mate, there's a lot of discrepancy over how points are being given in different events, right? Mm -hmm. So I think I saw some dramas, I think it was two days ago on Instagram, two heavy collar ties from either opponent, ref DQ both of them at an IBJJF event. Okay. And I was like, what's no going game. on here? And then, uh, yeah, this was no game, yeah. And then the other drama from the world is that I'm sure you probably saw a few people where one of them were pull guard and the other person were like Superman leap to like touch just like a slither of lapel and they're yeah. like, oh, I take down two points. And it's just like... Yeah, that, that, one's, that one's weird. They, it used to be really, really hard to get the points and then it became, you literally put a finger on the knee and you get two points. And then it became, what's on their YouTube now is like whoever initiates... And it's like, what do you call an initiation of a guard pull? Is it the first initial movement? Is it the grip? So uh, Richard's match in the Euros was, yeah. I mean, I'm biased. I was there, I'm not cornering him, but I was just shouting out times and stuff for him. I'm seeing it firsthand. And, and the guy sort of sits down, like crouches, and Rich blasts on him. The guy's feet hasn't come up to put a foot on the hip, and no, no sort of guard pull. No. But he had a grip, and Rich blasts on him and gets to his legs. And I'm like, let's take that. And... Uh, didn't happen like that, you know? Like, the ref mm -hmm. didn't see it that way. And I'm like, so, is that a game in the system? The guy's, like, crouching in a way that he can do his own ankle pick. But if someone shoots on him, I was pulling guard. Yeah. That one's always a little bit... Yeah. That's there's loads of borderline cases. I love points, by the way. This, I like those conversations. But yeah. um, maybe we'll get into that. But the sub-only format, that was one of my unpopular jiu-jitsu opinions. That's fair. We'll come back to that. That was one of my... Um, let's talk about obviously the different categories then. So yeah. and obviously you're sort of same sort of build as me, height wise, that type of sure, thing. Yeah. We've rolled a few times, which is cool. What's the progression in terms of your weight then? Obviously, some people obviously have different stories and stuff. So where, where did you start a white belt and where is it sort of? So a white belt, I was already like 25 a white belt. So it's not like I've grown anything in height since I started jiu-jitsu. So it's just been weight fluctuation at the same height. And I've been as low as middle heavy, almost all the time at heavy and more recently the dreaded super heavy. In the ultras, the dreaded. <laughs> that's the dreaded, dreaded. But then, you know, that's the double dreaded. <laughs> that's the double dreaded. So yeah, I got, I got friends, maybe an ultra, maybe shouldn't be an ultra, and like they've had, you know, good experiences. Everyone sort of slows down a bit, especially at locals. Everyone's a bit slower. But then you get the odd actual athlete at ultra, and it's like, what am I doing here? I did see someone the other day who competes at the ultra heavy, the white belt, and um, big guy, did a lot of bodybuilding back in the day type thing. Yeah, uh, and obviously he was doing pretty well. Obviously, because even with the bodybuilding, it's more obviously uh, weight focused. He has a bit. He's, quite athletic in that instance yeah. and handled himself uh, and went to another competition and came up against an ex-rugby league player 
Uh, cool. who, and he said that I was being handled as if I was a child all of a sudden. And I said, well, that's the problem with vultures. Because yeah, you don't yeah, know yeah. who the hell you're going to get up. And he was taller than him and probably just as heavy as him and then even more athletic. And it's just like, you just don't know what you're going to do. There was a guy who stood in front of me at a queue at Somerset who was like blotting out the sun. He was like this. And I'm like, he can't be in super. He can't be. Because I didn't know who I was fighting. I could yeah. like visually see their face. And I was like... This guy can't be super candy. He was massive. And I was like, and then that went to I was like, oh, hey, Gary, it's rich. Like, yeah, <laughs> so I was thinking if I got on like three kilos, I got to fight this guy. Yeah. Sort of thing. I was like, that is a different world. Yeah. But um, athletes in general, I've trained with like maybe three actual, yeah, proper professional sports people. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. Like there was a, there was a guy in London who was ex professional swimmer mm. and like never seen cardio like it. Just unbelievable yeah. pace. Just would not stop. There's even a, a basketball player I've, I've uh, had a few rounds of recently. A tall guy, but then I'm like, oh, you played for a decent level? He's like, yeah, international. He's trying to be modest. I'm like, oh, is he no. American? No, no, no. It's no. But, it, but it's, just, it's just the level of cardio these guys have. Yeah. Um, it's just that go and, and their mentality as well. It's slightly different. You don't get many proper professional athletes, no. especially just hobbyists like us in the club. When you see it, it's like, oh, that's a different world. Mindset, that's all it is. And mindset, yeah. yeah. And like, mindset. They, they just don't, they, there just seems to be no stopping them. No. Which is just really scary to see. And you get glimmers of it from different people, and sometimes you see people evolve into it, and you're mm. like, that's really interesting. That's been like a lifelong struggle for me, because I was not into basically anything physical. I used to skate back in the day in the skate parks. Yeah. So I'm used to injuries and things, but... Um, Actual athleticism and stuff. Like I'm not a physical person. No rugby, no, no football, no nothing like that. I mean, at all. Middle school, like not like literally nothing. Literally nothing. Like a gamer kid. Yeah. And jujitsu was like, I got fat. I mean, when I first started jujitsu, I was 17. I think I was touching 17 stone. So yeah. I, like never lifted a weight. So it was all fat. Not in a good place physically or mentally. Like that link there is, you know, you know, in a rough place. And I was like, I need something, just something physical. Well, how did you find it? Um. Uh, my sister's friend at work she was like a jiu-jitsu guy and he was like uh, probably talking about it constantly oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. all of us I, I didn't know him but she, she put me in contact with him I think I was looking just looking for something and googling things and, and whatever and I was like that's close to my work and I went along and just got the bug like day one and it's one of those things as exercise you don't even sort of register as exercise as you're doing it because it's so fun yeah I've never I've never had anything that's you know, you're driving to training and I've never had a single day in 11 years where I'm like, this is a chore. I don't want to be going, but I feel like I need yep. to get the, the rep in sort of thing. Yeah. I've had one day I don't and, I, and I've been doing like six AMs of hips and like doing like, yeah. and you know, I haven't had any sleep with the kids and it's like, I'm still driving there going, yeah, sweet. Like this is going to be great. For it. I think, and, uh, I think, ooh, I think there's been some tough sessions where sometimes you get there and you're like, oh, this isn't, this isn't going to be fun type thing, that type of thing. But the, you, the the brown belt to black belt run when I was taking every round very seriously was yeah. stressful a little bit sometimes uh, before not even before comps but in general but it was still never like I'm turning the car around yeah, on the way yeah. in. I don't think I've ever ever had that conversation which is nice and I think this is the biggest thing I try and explain to some of the clients that we work with who aren't jujitsu related mm. right that there's a stigma that they need to be doing CrossFit. They need to be going to the gym. They need to be running everywhere. They need to before be they this. come in to get the fitness up. Like, uh, before, yeah, and that's the that's a stressful conversation. Uh, and <laughs> it's like, like just calm and roll. I'm like not even like coming into the jiu-jitsu side of things. Like it's just like in general day-to-day life, right? And yeah. I'm like, I'm trying to say to them like, you can get the results that you want with mm. body composition changes, yeah, 
and your hobby could be slacklining for all I care, yeah? And the reason why I say this is that because you enjoy the slacklining so fucking much, yeah, never going to be a chore. Adherence, yeah, yeah? adherence to the problem. You're going to be there, you're going to be looking forward to it, you'll actually make time for it, you'll move other plans around for it, yeah? I think we all can openly admit that with this sport that you probably have more conversations about saying, oh, there's a seminar coming up. Uh, yeah, that, uh, that, I don't know, that family gathering, I can't make it, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You probably have more, I think I did the recent one, we've got um, a leg lock boot camp happening, and I was like, oh, I was supposed to be at this sort of horse show with my wife. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to make it. And she's like, well, I'm at, I'm at a leg lock thing, bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, a leg lock on. thing. Yeah. <laughs> she just looks at me and goes, yeah, fine, you do that. Um, but yeah, no, that's... But it's, it's why people, you know, because everything has to be related back to this, once you do have the bug and all your friends have it. Yep. When I started working out in the gym, I train like a, obviously not a bodybuilder, but I train like a bodybuilder. Yep. That's sort of like, people just call it fluff, like high volume. I enjoy it. Mm. So it's like, in five years, I've never missed a day at the gym. And it's like, that adherence is what I want more. People go, well, this isn't translating to performance in jiu-jitsu. It's like, not completely. There's carryover, obviously, but it's not like, it's I'm sure. It's a life. Like, like you being healthy. I wanted to get bigger. Like, I was always like, when I was 17, 17 I was all fat. If I'd lost all of that, I would have been like a middleweight. I'm supposed to be skinny he's got skinny wrists i'm supposed to be skinny and tall like yeah. you know, my brother and my dad was back in the day and um i just like that bodybuilder stuff, just getting a pump and like people say you know, that's useless but it's like mate you enjoy it like, i'm in the gym yeah and when i was doing it every like i did it five days a week uh when i was in london for three years i didn't miss a single time when i tried to do five by five strength stuff yeah two weeks in i'm like um, you know, I'm not yeah. booking, I'm chasing numbers. I'm like, I'm not enjoying it. No, exactly. And I think it's the same thing. Chasing numbers, very similar to sort of chasing belts, chasing, yeah, yeah, chasing yeah. medals, this type of thing, right? Yeah. And you've got to, like I said, you've got to be, the reason why you're doing this type of stuff has to be quite powerful to get you into those positions, especially yeah. in the days that aren't as great type of thing. But mate, I think that's the thing is that Rich well finally sort of put, this is a 95% majority hobby, hobby sport, yeah. right? And the sense that we This is why you've got me on today. Yeah. It's your filler episode. <laughs> <laughs> Before a proper person. Don't be silly. Like William Tackett straight to me. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, but it is. Um, I mean, me, Crocker, you've had on. Yeah. The, the, I'm almost exactly like him, you know, two kids, full time job. But this it, is what most people are, they're trying, you know. But let's be honest, the majority of people, I have no expectation that Craig Jones listens to this going, damn, this guy's good. He's not. not. Oh, man, I'm sorry to say that. <laughs> if you want to leave now, you're more than welcome. <laughs> um, or Danaher, to say the least. But, we have a nosebeers after this. Uh, yeah, loads of nosebeers. Um, the idea being is the majority of people listen to this. I just want to try and get a real-life perspective from different elements of it. Okay? Yeah. You've been, surround, you've, you've been around different people, yeah? Yeah. And it's just trying to sort of explain to them that okay, your perspective from, I don't know, a white belt to your level is like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. He must be incredible. He must <laughs> yeah. just like be purely dedicated while he's sat in his, I don't know, his like bamboo garden with like, which is like, I don't know, <laughs> all this type of stuff. I don't know, but it's the case of saying you're just... Not far off, isn't it? <laughs> She's just seen him like making all these little patterns in the, is it the sand? That they yeah, yeah, I can't remember what that's called. I yeah. went to one of them. Um, and the idea being is that <clears throat> we were trying to get real life stories to the other people and then listen to the mistakes with it, which is um, back to the point, obviously, with the weight, if you don't want me asking. So, yeah. Making weight for events, obviously, a very, very, we live in a sport which everything's all weight orientated. Yeah. yeah obviously, you've got the absolute, which is the kind of exception to in a few of the invitational type of things. But how's that been for you? Have you ever struggled making weight? Obviously, it's not the question, have you ever not made weight? But have you ever struggled? I was, I'm always, my sort of settling point, they call it, it was always bang on heavyweight. Yeah. So I should 
that's 91.4. I should. 4.3. So I should be walking around at 91 after 92, and then yeah. I could just pop a gi on yeah. and compete at that weight. I'm very big on this. Isn't generalised advice. Obviously, that'd be your job. But this, for me personally, yeah. I like to be at the weight I'm competing at all yep. the time and then almost eat into the competition because mm-hmm. the training goes up so I want everything intake to go up carbs to go up yep. carbs help me sleep yep. and sleep is fatigue management that's how you that's how you recover well, you said with kids and stuff that's probably the biggest thing of all for you in terms I've of got recovery to sleep. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's, that's the one variable I can't do anything about I'm so meticulous with tracking food and everything we can get into it but sure you're in naked chokes work on the kids as well or no, no, no. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but um so super has been, I'm not supposed to be a super heavyweight, but I've been, especially without the sleep with the kids, and the sleep is shocking at the minute. Mm. I've been banging in the food as the session. I'm still getting like five in a week on those sleep, and I just need the food. To manage it. So I'm doing the, uh, the Chael Sonnen two-pack life or four-pack life, whatever you said. <laughs> I don't chase the six-pack, chase the four-pack and be an athlete, the Fedor thing. I'm looking at DC, I'm going, yeah. no, obviously that's extreme, but the extra belly fat just comes on for me as I'm eating more. And if I try and eat maintenance, it's okay. And then if I'm doing six a week, I'll start struggling. But if I try and stay lower, it's a real struggle. Yeah. And um, heavyweight, I'm going back down to now. I've started dieting back down again. Yeah. But um, for me, I just eat clean, whatever that is. I eat, I eat my, I'm tracking absolutely everything. So yeah. I've got my protein in check. I've got, oh, I track my micronutrients. I'm a bit psycho about it. I track Sorry. absolutely everything. And then if I'm overeating maintenance and I'm putting on weight, good or bad weight, it's obviously carbs is the variable that goes up and down. And for me, I just pack in a load of crap on top of it. So I'm eating giant Reese's bars and stuff. And if I want to go back to maintenance, I just cut that out. So the main, the main diet is always good. Yeah. Now, some people go from a good diet for performance and then they go to McDonald's and they go back up and down. Yeah. And my diet is just always good food. Good consistency. And then I add in crap like this. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. So I think... What people don't realise is that with the lack of sleep, obviously we talk about lack of performance and stuff like this, but it also auto regulates your hunger hormones as well. And so and carbs, it, you just want to eat sugar yeah, when you wake up. Yeah, and you just do all these things, and it's most of the time obviously the most um, uh, palatable foods that we want. And this is this is the argument with like the whole sugar debate. You know, sugar's bad for you. I'm like, well, no. Well, sugar's addictive. I'm like, well, we don't again don't see people going out to buy bags of sugar from Tesco and spooning it into their mouth. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's not that. It's the fact that the foods that are high in sugar, but also high in fat content, which is what most of these things come from. And mm. when we look at the basics of fat, we're looking at nine calories per gram, right? So take a Reese's Pieces Krispy Kreme donut, right? High fat content, high carb content, and people are like, oh, it's just the sugar. It's like, no, well, they're gonna make palatable food, mm. yeah? yeah? They're gonna be out of business if their food tastes like shit, yeah? yeah? And so just because those ingredients are in there doesn't mean that they're the worst thing ever, right? Yeah, like yeah. the post yesterday, I think, on this, about how one cookie's not going to give you diabetes, yeah? Yeah, an overconsumption of mango can give you liver problems, right? Because right. there's too much vitamin A in it, okay. right? But again, put into context, the consumption of the amount of vitamin of the mango you need to get that to have that problem is excessive, yeah. yeah? So if you're living off mango and purely mango, then yeah, you probably want to get your liver checked yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the same thing with the cookies, yeah? Yeah, you've got to potentially be a bit more moderate with that type of thing, but eating a whole pack of cookies in one day isn't going to give you diabetes, no. yeah? Yeah, right. it stigmatizes, don't touch the cookies. Yeah. It's surprising how little weight, bad weight, like fat you'll put on in a, in a two-day binge. Mm. My girlfriend's just just dropped like three stone yeah. and she's on, she's on keto. 
but uh, she'll have like diet breaks. She's the Isle of Wight Festival. Yeah. And it's psychologically like, I'm having four days of just eating what I want. It's like, you can't put any weight on in four days. Not really. I'm like, your maintenance is here. You're going to eat a little bit more. Like, mm. if you put on a pound, like half of that is going to be water weight. Which is what I try to explain to a lot of the day before athletes when they're weighing in. And I try mm. and use that as an example to other people who aren't necessarily in that position who are doing day before weighing. I said, if we can manipulate someone by up to eight to 10 kilograms in the space of 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's all water. Like, majority of it's water, some of it's different food content in terms of like how it's going to be within the digestive system, yeah. glucose reduction, all this type of stuff, right? And I try and say that, look, if we're doing that with 10 kilograms, your one kilogram spike that you've had one day, yeah, is nothing, it's not body fat. No. Yeah, it's going to be very hard for it. And it's a scary thing I say to people when they are severely overweight, for them to even maintain that level of body composition, <clears throat> they're going to have to be eating so much consistently yeah. like, all the time, like yeah. 4K calories every single day, yeah. yeah? And if anybody's obviously maybe on a smaller size and trying to put on weight type of thing, mm. they I can vouch for them, it's very, very hard being consistent on four to 5K calories every single day and not be bored of force feeding yourself type no. thing. Um, so. Me and my girlfriend are both in, we've both got naturally high appetites. Yeah. We just, once we've started eating, that's it, we can't stop. And low maintenance kind of level that whole neat thing, we don't naturally move much. We both do kind of sedentary like jobs or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, I, I just work in an office all day, nine hours a day. This is the only time I move my body is mm. jujitsu. I try and go and walk some things, but naturally you'd be probably shocked if we had a, a consultation like a, what my maintenance actually is. Cause I track it and average it all out. Yeah. And I've been doing it for so long. I could tell you what my maintenance is at different weights and, uh, it's not, it's not high. It's no, not, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, again, people high. expect me to be sort of, I don't know, running marathons every day, eating and shitting avocados galore and all this type of stuff, being a nutritionist. But majority of my job is sat behind a desk on a laptop, going to I, see... I do this five days a week. If I told you now I eat 3,000 calories a day, I'd bang on weight. I'd like, I'd pack on weight. 100%. So, it's same thing. Like, for me, I try and keep an eye on my, my, my movement, my step count, getting the dog walks in, that type of thing, which is obviously useful for the dog as well. And then I try and get the jiu-jitsu sessions in, obviously appropriately, and a few obviously sort of um, weight sessions, but it's all depending on the ankle at the moment. But mm. perfect world for me would be five jiu-jitsu sessions a week, potentially one of those being maybe a bonus open mat somewhere, <coughs> and it'd be sort of two S&C sessions, and then maybe a cardio session in there. And that to me is mm. like a perfect week. Now, how often do I get that perfect week? Very rarely. Yeah. Right, because something will come up. We've got to go to a podcast somewhere. I've got an athlete to make weight Sorry, with or something like that. Um, <laughs> it's all good. Uh, you're making me fat. How dare oh, you? Uh, and again, like, it's the element of activity that's needed for it. And again, the amount of muscle mass that I have, I think that's one of the biggest reality checks for a lot of people, right? Is when they do these calculators, mm. right? And they're like, well, this calculator says I need to maintain my weight at 3,000, 4,000 calories. I'm like, that's based on someone having like 90 kilograms of worth of pure muscle mass, right? Mm. And even then that might be on the slightly low side, yeah? And they're like, well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm sorry to break it to you, mate, but you're probably about 60 kilograms of being muscle mass, yeah? And like, well, it's not the point. I'm like, well, Mark can have it. I'm like, yeah, but Mark has more muscle mass than you. Like, how much more times I've got to repeat this yeah. the same phrase? And then you can then start to balance things out with stuff. Um, but unfortunately, the society we live in today is that, this is getting a bit tin hat in that sense, is that we are getting more and more sedentary, and that's it. Like, mm. Uber Eats, yeah? Ubers, yeah? Like, go and get an electric scooter rather than walking somewhere. Oh, I see yeah. that a lot now. Yeah, I see that a lot everything. Of... Like, you can pretty much, if you needed anything to do with your phone, right? Yeah. You could sit in your house and not move for two weeks at a time, realistically. And I, and I do. 
yeah other than take a shit maybe that's yeah. it <laughs> so uh with the weight loss then obviously that you've done previously obviously what, what did you do was it just again series of macros or yeah i i got into the gym when i was working i was working in shepparton studios in uh, london and we had a little gym on site oh, so nice. every lunchtime my friend got me into it. he used to work in a gym so i got that perfect like he showed me around the gym thing showed me everything and like jujitsu i thought early on for, for whatever reason, I'm like, I know this is a lifelong thing, so I'm mm. not rushing it. I went a bit overboard, but I literally, for like two weeks, I didn't even, I was literally just going through the motions of learning machines, learning how to, to you know, yeah. checking my form, I was filming my form and stuff yeah. like that, before I even put any weight on the bar, sort of thing. Well, a little bit, but you know, I wasn't trying to test my warm-up max week one. Yeah. But, um, so I had a good little entry to it, and I wasn't looking at diet at all, and that's how I got into the nutrition side of things. Because once you, you max out your newbie gains, I started yeah. looking at like, why am I not getting any bigger? How do, how do I actually do this? And I was, I mean, I was like watching like, uh, who's that guy? Callum Von Moga videos on YouTube. Hey, and I'm like, you seen what's happened to him in the last few years? I haven't followed it closely. I saw the two injuries back to back and then he went a bit loopy. Yeah, like loopy. And he keeps on trying to do like these videos like, I'm coming back now and everything. Some people yeah. need their workouts. And if you bite your legs and you can't get your workouts in. Well, I, this is the thing I've said to people before. Sorry for a bit of a tangent on this. His knee just fucking buckled on itself because yeah. of his weight it wasn't oh like, really yeah like and it was based on the angle that he was leaning over so i think it was like a rock climbing thing but mm. his knee just popped out the socket right and it's like that's not due to someone trying to talk the knee off or something like this that's just his body weight on his own muscle and ligaments and the ligaments just going nope I'm not doing that anymore and it's this whole argument of like you've seen oh, again was it Joey Aesthetic, I think it was, one of the bodybuilders, died recently. I think yeah, the uh, Alien Gains yeah. chest guy. A lot of people are attributing it to what, you know, all sorts of different things, but he's... He um, his coach for his last show, saying he was on minimal stuff recently, and he's basically TRT, and before that he's open about doing loads of, loads of stuff. People want to say it's that straight away, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe I not. I think blood pressure is... It's probably involved for his blood pressure. It's not good, but... It's just too many people within that world who are just taking it off and just gone all of a sudden. I follow it. I, lo I, lo I follow the whole bodybuilding world and, and the influencer yeah. guys. Was it John? What's his name? That older boy with that dog shit training. That guy. I think he came up with it. John something. Uh, it was him. I follow all the guys, Sean, Sean Roden, all the guys that have just died. Rich Piana. Rich Piana. And... Um, if you watch Nick Strength from Power, like the last yeah. couple of years, it's just like every week, it's like rest in peace episode for someone. I'm yeah. like, Jesus. But it just puts into perspective for it. But yeah, sorry, slight tangent with that. So you're doing obviously some of the weightlifting and that type of thing, obviously. Yeah, so I, 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 as soon as you start putting any lean mass on, you can just drop fat so easy. And I was doing intermittent fasting and I was like, I was doing weights and then I was banging a load of hit cardio. And so I wasn't eating until like 2 p.m. Okay completely deplete absolutely it's not ideal but depleting absolutely everything with the weights and then doing cardio and i just absolutely shredded fat like i've never done in my life before and um come by gary's program <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't ideal i didn't feel that good a quick word about one of our sponsors grappler soap the team wanted to find, right, the best possible defense against skin infections, which normally we get from each other or off the mass. This in turn led Dan and the team into researching more about soaps and essential oils, which turns out has been used for thousands of years, actually, as a natural defense against infection during the plague. Slight twisted story here, but grave robbers in England knew of the power of essential oils and smothered themselves in it before exhuming and stealing corpses. Useless fact of the day for you there. But 
However, Dan and the team had tried several soaps before, but none of them just simply wowed them. So he started to make his own. Months more research, trial and error led to finally this golden nugget, grappler soap, which you'll be pleased to know the recipe is CPR registered and approved by pharmacists. The use of a specific method to lock in the amazing natural smell, no cheap fragrances used here, which means the soap and use smell great and stand the best chance of staying healthy. Although the soap was developed for grapplers alike, it is now widely being used by non-grapplers. And Dan is always like, delighted to hear from from customers about how it's cleared up dry and itchy skin or relieved eczema or just simply made you feel awesome the smell alone has been a massive hit with men and women alike so enough waffle for now go and get yourself some now at www.mrbassett.com or go check out their instagram page for some very funny memes at grapplers soap Thank you, guys. Um, I, dropped a, I dropped a lot of weight, and I got down to about 85 kilos. Just okay. no fat on me. And, um, and it's not sustainable. So, you know, I, I had to start looking at the nutrition after that, and I like, yeah. didn't know even to eat protein before that. And I was just, it was just all, my body was like, what's a weight? And just naturally, just like, oh, a stimulus. I'll start growing. But, um, yeah, since then, just absolutely obsessed with the nutrition side of it and the tracking side of it. Um, I'm like that anyway, like I said, analytical side. It's just a video game to me. My fitness power is a video game to me. I just track, <laughs> I track my numbers. Have you completed it yet? I, I have completed it. Do you know what? <laughs> when it pops up saying, you know, give so-and-so a bump, you know, they've done a month straight. I think I've got like 1,400 days or so. It works out as like four years straight without missing a day. <laughs> and I'm it. thinking, man, that's, that's on holidays. That's why I've not missed a day. Oh, and, that's uh, wicked. It's, when you get a streak like that, it's stressful. You don't want to break your streak. But... um. I know that reminds me of being at university and we had to get paired up with different people and it was like, oh, are you going to do an assessment on someone's food diary? Mm. And I, I literally just laughed and they said, why are you laughing? And I said, whoever gets me has got three years worth of food diary to look for. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> literally every day. Having you probably everything be tra- every day, like all about doing it. Without, I could drop it now and I'd know what's happening without tracking because yeah. you just, you just internalise it. So one of the things that we kind of promote with this, it depends on the individual, right, and obviously on what they're doing. If we've got hobbyists or if we've got athletes, obviously it's a different discussion altogether. But even with the athletes, this is quite useful when they do have downtime because they will, right? They're on mm. a holiday somewhere, something like this. And it's trying to encourage them to not be solely reliant on stabilisers, basically is the way I describe it. Yeah. Stabilisers being... In the terms of the use of my fitness pal, right? Okay. If my fitness pal wasn't here, how would you be able to figure out the information? You can look and read the back of the label. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you need to be mentally calculating everything? No. Especially if we then try and keep the habits that we typically do day to day. Right. So a common one would be, don't have breakfast. Let's just say for whatever reason. Disable the, the arguments of like, oh, what about if I'm training first in the morning? Just keep it nice and simple. You're not training. Just normal day to day life. Don't have breakfast. Right. Yet when we go on holiday to an inclusive, everyone just starts smashing in breakfast. You paid for it, come on. Yeah, and I'm like, but are you hungry for this type of thing? No, and that's when it's kind of like, right, the things that we've learned from this, why, okay, why are we having a tele pancakes for breakfast when you've been eating bacon and eggs every morning? Mm. Yeah, like, try and replicate what your normal habits are rather than mentally put in your head that, oh my God, if I don't eat my, like, what I'm going to get for my all-inclusive type thing. I, I repeat, eat so much, I can just do it blind now. Yeah. I mean, literally every day. And so by then it gives you a bit of confidence. Yes, there'll be some variants, right? Bacon yeah. medallions versus streaky bacon is obviously going to be hard. What type of cheese is it or what eggs are they, etc. I don't go, you know, psycho like, about, you know. No, and it's just then, it's trying to give them 
confidence to kind of say, right, you've been doing this already. I don't want you to be using my fitness pal, yeah? And then what we're going to do is we're going to use other metrics, obviously, to try and m- mitigate, obviously, how well your success is, mm. right? So it might be the case of, like, my rule of thumb with this is the fact if you have three core metrics, you can do a lot with that. And that's, i.e., having an understanding of activity, which I normally refer to as step count, a bit different with JITs, but, again, it's mm-hmm. still quite useful outside of JITs as well. Your daily weight measurements, right? And I did say daily for people who may be listening to this, really useful, okay? And yeah, then, I do daily. Yeah. I just average it out. You can start to see trends. That's yeah, the yeah. cool thing about it. And then uh, an idea on the food log. Right. Mm. If you have those three key metrics and you can't have access to one of them, let's say you can't weigh yourself, mm. yeah, then as long as your activity is roughly kept the same, right, and your calorie intake is kept roughly the same, right, you should still be getting the same sort of trend of what you've been doing the previous two weeks. Right. Yeah. Uh, likewise, let's say if you don't have access to my fitness pal, right, you're keeping let's say you're doing ten k steps, yeah, I don't know, maybe aspirational for you, but um, doing ten k steps each day, you're weighing yourself each day. If your weight starts trending upwards, what would that suggest to you? Reese's, Reese's bars. Reese's bars, yeah. If your weight's starting to stay the same, cool, fantastic. If your weight's going down then, yeah, it then gives you kind of a, a rough indicator of what's going on. Yeah. And so it's the kind of, again, the same synopsis that I give to people in terms of, oh, I don't know how to track this, yeah. Mm. I'd be very doubtful that all your progress is going to be pinned on one meal out on a <clears> Saturday night yeah. and you've just fucked it for that whole thing. Normally it's accumulation of, well, I had 10 beers with it and then I had a meal afterwards and then I had a dessert and then I had a cake when I got home. It's normally a collection of it. It's never just one meal. And yeah. so I say to my clients all the time, jokingly, I'm not holding a virtual gun to your head, right, or hyper, saying you must have every calorie counted for. Yeah. And then it's just getting them confidence in building that and trying to learn it through maintaining their weight for a period of time. So we normally do it for like four or six weeks and say to them, look, you haven't used my fitness pal. Yeah. Mm. You've maintained your weight. Yeah. You've enjoyed all the foods that you've consumed, right? You haven't starved yourself or anything like that or missed out or been good or bad type yeah. thing. You've included different food groups in there. You've been on holiday. Nice to say that you've you've changed your habits now to suit your lifestyle. Yeah. So and on the build up to that we'll have conversations and say to them, right bit of it is again this is more than just calories and macros sometimes a lot of psychological sort of talk in here it's like the food groups that you're consuming right now is there anything you're purposely keeping out right and i'll say to them well why are we keeping the chocolate bars out i can't control myself around them no bullshit you can control yourself around them Mm. yeah there's some that you might enjoy more than others which is understandable right but if you're glorifying them into this what happens when i'm not in the scene anymore you're just going to binge on them all of a sudden Mm. right so i've been told i've been known for saying this to people right the chocolate bars that you enjoy, I want you to have one every single fucking day. Oh, man, I've cut weight eating ice cream every night. Yeah. But I literally have. <laughs> That's what probably not. What's that? I thought you had like a tub of ice cream behind you for a second. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like, where the fuck? So we cut, <laughs> cutting. We need to some podcasts, yeah. But that's the point, is that it normalises the food group a bit more in mm. the sense of it, like, I can't have this, this is really bad, this is awful, that type of thing. So it just makes it a bit I, more... Is it individual? Like, the only reason I track every day, and I'm meticulous about it, my weight hasn't changed in about a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's gone up and down, you know, within a range of three kilos, but I'm pretty much the same. I've been super heavyweight probably a year. I track every day so that, because obviously the mental health aspect is part of it. Yep. The diet's so linked into everything with the physical health. It literally anything that happens, if my back feels tight for like a couple of weeks, you know, if I'm, you know, mentally, if it's, if it's a struggle, literally anything, I can just go back to my log on my fitness pal and go, what's my diet been like the last four weeks? Yeah. And if there's any difference, if, my sh- if it's double the sugar I usually eat, I can be like, maybe that's some information. Possibly. Maybe, so maybe you know. If the information is useful, I think in a perfect world, if we can get into a system which would be able to 
understand our food intake without the struggles of having to log everything. Because there's other, yeah. there, there's other sides of the coin where people believe, obviously, it's obsessive, right? And yeah, I've heard that. I mean, I've heard, but I am obsessive by nature. Yeah. And but my been, argument's always like, if I'm going to obsess, I obsess about my health. <laughs> and yeah. in the gym and jiu-jitsu, it's like, I could it's, be obsessing about other things. It's the same sort of argument which you get from, like, Whoop, for example. Yeah. Oh, I'm at 30% recovery right, right, at the right, moment. Right, right. Should right. I be training today? Right? I've had it before, I felt absolutely fine. I think two days before the North Summer set open, my, my recovery was going down. I'm like, I've done fuck all for the last two days. How the fuck is my recovery going down type thing? Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, I feel fine. How accurate is that? I, again, it's... Uh, so I've done the sleep ones and it sort of tries to tell you what your sleep's like by having your phone next to your bed. <laughs> and I'm like... It's interesting. So my sleep's got pretty decent. Don't be jealous. It's like 100% mistake. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> uh, what is 100%? Is that eight hours straight? or? don't know. It's got different metrics. So my REM sleep's good and stuff like that. But again, oh, I, what's I, REM I, sleep? What was that about, <laughs> about three years ago, I used to get that. Like, what's a dream? Yeah. What's a dream? Um, but the dream is to get more REM sleep. The recovery is kind of based on where your uh, variable heart rate is, or HRV. Okay. Uh, heart rate variability, sorry. So it looks at that and how that fluctuates. So the fact is, if your heart rate variability starts to drop, you can kind of pick up when people are getting sick or okay. menstrual cycles are supposed to come in, that type of stuff. So it works off that. So it works off a lot of different metrics. The concern I have with Whoop at the moment is that they have a reader off the wrist, right? There's another mm -hmm. company called Ura. Ever heard of them? Ura rings. So they no. track off your finger pulse, right? Which they I've say sci yeah, scientifically, that. they say is more superior than the wrist. Okay. Um, and so I'm like, okay, cool. Now Whoop have obviously brought out this brand where they've got all these clothes where you can get Whoop pants, sports bar, arm bar. Like you've seen Rich's one, I'm thinking. You may have seen that with his yep. gear. So that's useful for the jiu-jitsu environment. So I'm having to switch over to something like My Zone or like Polar or something like this. Mm. So I can monitor one, one there. Um, but my argument being is that if the wrist is less accurate than the finger, if I've got a pair of whoop boxes on, is my ash cheek going to be more accurate than my finger type thing? <laughs> right. So I'm a little bit like, yeah, a bit skeptical. But from what I've seen... But better than nothing. It's better than nothing. nothing. Yeah. It's better than going to standing. It's the same argument I say of like faulty scales, right? If you've got a scale, a set of scales which is 2 kg heavier, right? But consistent. But consistently 2 kg heavier. Yeah. You can still make progress either way. Oh, I try right? to tell my girlfriend this every day. <laughs> every day. She keeps getting the 4 kg... Dumbbell, I've been check, on yeah, there every yeah. day checking it. I'm like, it's the same every day, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, the 4kg dumbbell hasn't changed shape either. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still trying to get over the thing of weighing every day mm. and then doing the averaging out. And on my fitness pile, you see the spiky line, and I'm like, look, it's all trending down. Yep. But if you get, she'll literally still compare one day to the next. I'm like, that's, that's a low day and that's a high day, even yeah. though this one's after this one, that's not necessarily bad. An easy task, I always tell people if it's weight loss they're looking after, look at where you were seven days before. Yeah. yeah, all for her, it's like three months before, and it's just like, boom. There we go. It makes it, you zoom out from the individual type of thing. It's like having so hard I don't know, one bad day of sparring in the gym. Yeah. Yeah, and you zoom out and go, actually, hold on, your progression. I quit, I quit. Yeah. quit. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's one of those type of things. Um, so yeah, super heavyweight. Yeah, where so we were. keep on going tangents <laughs> yeah. on this, don't we? Super heavyweight we were. Um, so we, we've obviously gone from there. So was there any struggles? Obviously, you mentioned that you eat up into competitions, which I'm a big advocate for, right? Which is yeah, with the mat side weigh-ins and everything. Yep. And the water fluctuations and everything. I'm always a couple of kilos under where I should be. Mm. I think I weighed in like 97 in the gi for super heavyweight or 98 nice. or something. Whatever, it's two kilos, four kilos, our level, who cares? Mm. Um, but yeah. Just, I want to eat. Lots of people go the other way. I think even for slow, steady diets going down, mm. like I was saying, I think it's, you're, it's, it's what it is. You're depleting yourself. You're getting slightly yeah. less than you need as your training goes up and yeah. you need even more recovery. 
Um, so the way I look at it is that if you had an eight-week camp, then yeah. say, obviously to go to London Fall, which has been announced recently. Right? Yeah. So if you had an eight-week camp for that's in October time, I think. I don't mm-hmm. know. So it might be a bit longer. Your training should not be peaking at week one of that camp. No. Right. It's going to gradually build up and up and up and up and up. You may even have a deload in there if actually you've got time within enough, enough time frame right. for it. Right. And the idea being is that. In terms of fat loss reduction, your best time is going to be right at the beginning of it because training intensity is going to be lower. Now, it's not for me to say at that point you should crash your calories, go sub a thousand, all this type of jazz. Yeah, what I'm trying to get out here is actually that's going to be the best phase of fat loss. Make okay. a hole and then sort of eat yep. up into it. Okay, Make so similar to what I'm already told there. And then maintaining that sort of middle ground for a little bit and mm-hmm. seeing obviously where you are. If you've got to make weight on the same day, there's things that you can do so you can generally manipulate the average person's weight by three to four kg for same day weight without underfueling, which is mm. cool. And that's mm. just a carb fat switch, fiber reduction, water loading, that type of stuff. So you can do a lot there to yep. get that on weight and still be fueled properly. So you can have that distinctive advantage. Um, it depends, like I said, on the level of the competition, right? Yeah. If you're a white belt hobbyist, go in for the first competition, eat up into the next category, yeah. right? That should just simply be the rule. Of fucking if you're stuff. mid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say just eat up into the category. Don't put on 10 kg. No, <laughs> yeah. I won't do that intentionally. Like, there may be one exception to that, which may be the ultra. If you're like on the verge of ultra, I would probably advise you just to drop weight, right? Yeah. Especially if you're like five foot two. Yeah. yeah. Like, drop weight to get into the better category for that and work the way down. Yeah. So some exceptions to the rules. But it depends, like I said, on the level of the competitiveness. If you're going to Worlds, right, I would probably suggest that you want to be slightly above the weight category. Okay, so you can dip a little bit without a detriment to your performance, right? And you could do trial runs of this as yeah, well, yeah, yeah. right? And then you can obviously refuel on the day, right? Because even though we're talking about a kilo advantage, two kg advantage, a little bit of thing, is it? You're talking <clears throat> percentile differences in terms of mm. wins or losses, if that makes sense. I'm yeah. sure obviously you experience this at the black belt sort of level in the sense that it's not oh, you didn't know how to break someone's clothes guard properly. Yeah. yeah. Or know what an arm bar is, yeah. right? It's the case of, oh, he's grabbed the lapel at a slightly different angle or he's got, I don't know, he's got the lever of my hand rather than just my wrist type thing. And that, those very minute details have made them made or break the match, if that makes sense. Yeah. I appreciate some outlines to that type of thing, but it's the same thing when it comes to sort of weight management for these bigger competitions. Right. If we can get an extra percentage on top of that, then all of a sudden you, you, you could be ahead again, even further type of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, it does. Um, for more local competitions, more or less a less competitive type of thing, everyone wants to do well, eating up into them is probably most appropriate for people. There's a weird thing with the locals, because you get people at the locals because that are then professional, you know, professionals within the sport. Yeah. And then it's, it's, people have started talking about this a little bit recently, but you do get, I mean, like I said, my guy comes to Bristol Open and then double goals British. I know the British isn't, you know, the world's. But, um, is it not? Everyone yeah. in the UK thinks it was like Crocker talked about his friend Josh, the sort of he sees yeah. the, the forces comp and then he wins adult, yeah, <laughs> adult uh, brown belt euros, yeah. And it's like so people can sort of just go to anything they want and it and it's and it's mixed, which is which is fine. But we talk about locals a lot, like you should train differently for them, maybe the 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 structure of how you wake up for it is different, but then it's like you can still run into like absolute killers as well. You can do, and I think this is interesting. So I know obviously we talked briefly about Mark and Shane, obviously on their and their pro division. Yeah, right. It was labelled as a pro division, mm-hmm. and I think there's an element to it which I I can see happening that there'll be a pro jujitsu level. Yeah, right? which I think has the opportunity actually to have some really good sort of credentials around it to kind of say that. <coughs> 
again, uh, I'm having conversations today about steroid use within like sort of like within jujitsu and stuff like this and how we're going to mitigate it and stuff like this. Rah, rah, rah. Uh, and one suggestion that came up is, for example, MMA and boxers, for example, need to do um, head scans, MRI scans okay, yeah. every single year, right? And so then jiu-jitsu, pro jiu-jitsu athletes, let's say, right, need to do random drug tests once a year, right? Okay. And it's the, the, the responsibility of the athlete to get it done, right? Pro boxers, MMA guys, they got to pay for it. It's not the boxing commission that's going to pay for it. Yeah. yeah. So that then obviously they can be tested properly and it keeps it synonymous across the whole board type stuff. But mm-hmm. another sort of tangent there, sorry. But I think it could be useful for the local competitions to be able to sort of say, right, you're registered as a pro, right? You can't drop into this because technically, other than potentially like a warm-up match before a big thing type of stuff, mm. I wouldn't want to risk it as a pro athlete to mm. potentially, I don't know, get a, a freak injury from a spazzy blue belt. There are people that are like, I could be everywhere just for the just for the Take for the reps. Yeah, you know, there are some people like that um, just for the experience. Yeah, and I'm like, if you you're see, like, UFC fighters going to do local like, yeah, you do. And the thing is, nagas and stuff, and like, I, I could be doing naga or something like that, and you're like. Yeah, well, <laughs> Imagine that. I think that's a joke. I think it was on the real. He's a white boy, isn't he? He is technically. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah, no. You need technically be a blue belt. He's a pro MMA guy. Right. You'd have to go in. You'd have, have to go. To go in is it pro MMA as well as judo black belt now? Mm-hmm. It's pro MMA as well. Yeah. Depending on the comp. Yeah. Depending on the comp. I was reading the Naga rules yesterday, and I was like, "What the fuck? You can weigh in the day before for Naga." Really? Yeah. I was like, "This is a, like well, it's grappling." I don't appreciate that, but yeah. I was like, "What the fuck? You can go and weigh in the day before, and yeah. it's like and like just take pure advantage of it." I was like, "Jesus Christ, that was funny." So yeah, a lot especially of, if you're used to doing that, well, if you're an MMA. I've got a few clients who want to do it. So I'm like, "Guess what, guys? We've got some big weight cuts to be doing, yeah. uh, which will be fun." So walking in with some monsters for that one. Um, mm. What was my point? I forgot. I was going to mention it. Oh, the, um, the pro divisions, yeah, pro divisions and athletes jumping in, like. I possibly think that one, they're doing it because they either passed their UFC time, right? Obviously, we heard the news that GSP is going to be on a grappling show soon. Yeah, yeah. Which is going to be really cool. So, obviously, less sort of in, uh, impact on them. It may be to draw more invites on this. So, I don't know if you remember, probably about a year or so ago, Conor McGregor was put in for the grappling industries in Dublin. I think I heard rumblings of it, yeah. yeah. And then everyone started signing up, like, I'm fucking I heard that, yeah, 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 I heard that. And then he dropped out two years before, or something like that. I think it's like Mark Zuckerberg, I know he's not, it's not the level, but as a name, yeah. had to maybe register as a different name. Yeah. I don't know how you're even allowed to do that, but otherwise he people would be going day that he had like a hoodie on, like oh, really? a mask yeah, yeah. and everything else, and people wouldn't see him. Like, imagine that unveiling. He's like, looking big now, right? I knew we have. Mark Zuckerberg, he just comes <laughs> out fucking like that. I saw a picture of him yesterday, looking quite... Yeah, um, he was showing Izzy and Al- uh, Volk, wasn't he? He's it? looking a bit juicy, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, mate. He was. It's not as if he's not got the funding to do everything either. But, no. Um, so yeah, I think obviously sometimes it's to draw more attention to the competition. What, what do you, I have two minds about it, because I quite like the fact that Jiu-Jitsu, everyone mixes in one sense. You can just run into... Yeah. One, of, one of my guys was scheduled, uh, my second fight at Black Belt, he's got a, technically got a win over Adam Virginsky, because <laughs> it was a walkover, Adam didn't yeah. show up to some <laughs> smaller event yeah. years, years ago, and so technically he's got this win over, but it's like, he could have had a match with him, yeah. and it's like quite cool that the pros... Kind of mix sometimes, but then if you get it completely separate, it's like, does it diminish your win? Yeah. You're like, yeah, I won, but it wasn't the pro leagues, you know? Now you've said that, that's interesting, because uh, one of our guys from our club, Yal Chim, uh, went to a couple of industries in London. First person he had was Ross Nichols. Yeah. And did he win against Ross Nichols? I don't think so. I think he lost on points, but he didn't get subs. And so he's a blue belt. Right. Wow, okay. And so, again, he's recently been promoted to purple, obviously, he's a really, really good guy and stuff like that. But 
it gave him the opportunity, obviously, to again, like, just roll with someone who that, and obviously he had good experience for him to kind of say, look, I need to eliminate who this person is in front of me because I know who they are, I may have watched an instruction, all this type of stuff, and just go and play jiu-jitsu with them type yeah. of thing. But I don't know. It's, it's good hard. in one way. I, I even struggle with the master's divisions. Yeah. I know it's a pure ego thing because I've only just slipped it. I'm not like master's six or whatever. But even if you do the, get the master's wins, it's like, yeah, but it's master's, and it's yeah. not like getting a win at adult. And so I always feel like, should I just go an adult? And like, I don't understand people sometimes who will hold in their master's division and just refuse to budge. I'm like, not to not go up to what their actual. To even go down, right? Let's say they've got one person in a division. Yeah. Right? I know some people who are happy. This is probably an unpopular opinion. I don't like people who sit in like masters two, right? And they're one person division. There's only two of them. It's like they, they only have one match each. Mm. They could go on to adult, right? And have a nice little gauntlet to go through. Because the brown and the black belt takes so long to get there for most average kind of people. Yeah, like yeah. Me. most of them are going to be in the masters. Most people are older, so I've seen it go the other way at purple belt. We were all masters, but we all put ourselves down at adult, so we get more matches, yeah. and then we're all like in our mid-30s going, what are we doing? We've just given ourselves <laughs> extra minutes. <laughs> you know? but, but I just, it's, I think it's more to do with the lower belts, mate, and that's what bugs me a little bit. I'm yeah. like, right, you're in a position where you're 35, you're a blue belt, and you're medium heavy, right, let's say, and you've got one person in your category because it's just super fucking busy, right? And it was, it's super quiet. Right? I always leave that thing ticked on, just like mix me about anywhere you want. Yeah, I'm happy. I don't really yeah. care. Like, I think it's the same with the absolute stuff. Like, I don't fear it because in the day, if I am an underdog, it's no how, problem. How old are you? Uh, I'm 31. 31. So, I, like I said, I dodge between masters one and adult all the time. Like, yeah. just based on what's available. It's just a black boat. It's literally five minute to 10 minute. It's like a bit of a swing, you know, <laughs> physically. I mean, I was in masters two, so I was five. And when it said it was adult and I didn't read the times, I was fuming. I was like, that's doubled the match length. That's that's that's, that's you have to train differently. For that. <laughs> that's like an ADCC level. Isn't I, had, it? I had one ten minute match with Hibs once and no gi because he needed it for something, and I was six minute mark. I was looking at the clock like this isn't <laughs> this doable. Is why, <laughs> this is this why he's doing cross face at the same time. Yeah, like yeah. That. I just see the yeah. clock. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Um, I don't think as much, mate. We've we've been chatting for quite some time here, so I might even just chucking up some other stuff. It's been a good little chat so far. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the Japan bit? You mentioned you stayed over there, didn't you? Uh, Jiu-jitsu-wise, there's not that much. I just I just went out there traveling at like 27, and I was I was like white belt. Yeah. And uh, training was different, but it was good. It was very expensive. Yeah. But uh, they had a whole system of like, leave your gi there, they wash your gi, have it out ready for you when you get back. It's like, and a, that's London, like a premier London gym. Yeah, that, but right? that's, that's, that's why it was so expensive. I like, at the end of the session, everyone got a mop and did like one line each. It was very like, it got cleaned instantly. <laughs> They have that system where they, the kids clean their own schools and stuff like that, so they've got the discipline built in. Wow. Uh, it was good. It wasn't... Um, I thought they were trying to cling on to like the traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu and be a bit proud about it and not... Yeah. They, had, they had like Brazilian flags on the wall and they were like, just bang into it. So Interesting. That was cool. Obviously, everyone was a little bit smaller. And the only thing that bugged me is they would always pair me up with the foreigners. The big Swedish bloke, they were like, oh, Gary, go with him. <laughs> I, like, I want to train with the locals, you know. But, uh, is that Alexander Gustafsson? Yeah, yeah. Fuck's sake. Very, very, very technical, obviously, because they were small in stature, they, a lot of them. A few people said that. Matt from um, Scramble said about the same thing, about how you'd come across some jokers who were fucking shit hot. With and they were bigger up. as well. Yeah. The judo guys were always bigger. Bigger. Um, and then you'd come across, obviously, some of the jiu-jitsu guys who were smaller, but very technical in terms of the way Yeah, the guards. Stuff. Crazy, crazy guards. Yeah, so all makes yeah. sense there, which is cool. That was fun. Uh, right, obviously, a couple of questions that came through, mate, is... Uh, can you divulge the secret black belt handshake now you've got the black belt? It's all with the feet. All with the feet? All with the feet. Interlocking. I, I like, like a slap and bump from open guard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did it to someone the other day, they're like, what's he doing? <laughs> like, yeah. 
<laughs> I love that. Uh, next question I had for you was, uh, what is an unpopular jiu-jitsu opinion that you have? Um, so you, you said a list. You're I told you when I saw you do this with Grapple first, I was like, I can't, I don't think I've got any opinion that's not probably, I don't know about unpopular is maybe unfair, but just probably against the average opinion. Uh, Go for it. Get the phone out if you want. It's all good. Mate. I started writing these down. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna have to rattle these off and you're going to have to pick what you want out of this. That's right. Where is it? Crack on. Number one, points format is better than sub only. Ooh. Let's go. Oh, that's a big one. Uh, I, I, originally, I was being a little bit more, I just said that it can be as exciting as sub only, but I watch points more than sub only. Okay. Let me, let me, let me break this it. down a bit further. Go for it. With the sub I'll only. I'll save the rest. We'll be here all day. Yeah, that's all right. Sub only then. I would agree if it then comes to a draw at the end of it. Which it's gonna, which it's gonna. People are good, they no, cut each other some, down. No, there's some, some only where it gives a distinctive winner. So you take Grapple Fest rules set, there's always a winner. There's never a draw. Yeah. That, how do they decide the winners? Is it refs? Uh, they've, got, they've got a couple of refs and they have obviously a point system which they discuss in terms of like, we want so, some so it's points. <laughs> they say some attempts. And oh, it's, it's well, points. this is the thing. The, 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 the IBJJF point system is there's going to be borderline cases like we were talking about, yeah. takedowns versus guard pulls, who initiated. But it's laid out, at least we can all see it. Mm. Ref's decision, like my match, yep. I didn't agree with my ref's decision going against me, obviously I'm biased, <laughs> but when you have that conversation, it's subjective. And the ref sees it different to me, and my yeah. guy sees it differently, the opponent, I mean. And because uh, there's no objective criteria, you can't go point at a rule and go, no, I won. Yeah, if, it's a, if it's a point system that's laid out for you, you can say if you want or not. Polaris used to do draws, right? Yeah. And they realised you can't build the next card if everyone draw yeah. the time before. We need winners. Mm. This guy beat this guy, this guy, and now these two guys are winners, and now they're against each other. You build the hype. Yeah. Um, and so they, they made a ref decision, and it's like, what's the ref decision based on? Really, it comes down to points. Because they're saying, well, he got a guard pass and he didn't. Instead of calling it 3-0, you call it ref decision. It's like, it, it, you know, most of the time when you get the win, when you get the nod, it's like, you could have just written down the points and that person would beat. One final sponsor shout out to the team at Inner Chimp. Inner Chimp is a brand name that really speaks to grapplers and fighters, one we can believe and relate to on a personal level. Inner Chimp is simply catchy, right? And with small tweaks can be your general gym wear and casual wear and rash guards like this for men, women, and children. Inner Chimp is ethically produced and has turned down cheaper production overseas to ensure this. Understanding that we only have one earth, right, which we need to look after. This is at the forefront of their production decisions and we want you, our listeners and viewers, to have a sense of accomplishment in knowing that you are doing your part when buying their products. Inner Chimp tees are 100% organic cotton. They're packaging 80% recycled cardboard and all of their products are designed to last. Their production and manufacturing is in the UK trying and aiming to be as eco-friendly as possible, leaving close to zero global footprint. But to put it simply, Inner Chimp has a massive passion for the sport, attention to detail and our planet in mind, and always at the forefront of your own Inner Chimp. Go check out their website, www.inner-chimp.co.uk, or go check out their Instagram at inner underscore chimp. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Chico Mendes, uh, when he did the seminar here, he said something to me at uh, Brown Belt that always stuck. He said, you only get points for control in Jiu-Jitsu. In IBJJF, you only get points for control. So if you up on points, 
But then, let's be honest with what we're talking about, the guard pulling slash like takedowns. I don't see much. Yeah, I mean, there's borderline cases, but I think you get more borderline cases when it's just rough decision because it's always subjective, and especially sub-only attempts. When I was watching those, you know, Meow Brothers matches and people are like snapping up in a steamer lock, it's like one sub-attempt is like, we all know no one is submitting Joao mm. Meow with yeah. a leg lock attempt. Yeah. So it's like, you can do it 50 times in them and go 50 nil on sub-attempts, but... Don't know. I think uh, do you think one's got it quite well um, because you've got, you've got one who will, the referee will call a sub attempt. Yeah. So they, go, I think he goes catch they, or they something catch like that. Or something, yeah. yeah. Right. Catch you caught a sub. Yeah. So I don't know if that's going to be a little bit more superior for. You can hear it and it affects the athletes. So I think that's cool. I like in is it Polaris now they do it in in thirds and they call out who's favoured. After a certain amount of time. Oh, is that, is that, that might be... I think that's flow. The, the, the lights go red or blue. They do blue or red corner. Yeah. Is, is favoured. Favoured in the blue And corner. that sort of makes the athletes inform yeah. what they're doing, which is cool. Instead of looking at a points board and being like, I'm down, I need to... Mm, if you're down two thirds, you've got to get the subs. Sort of yeah, thing. it's interesting. Like I said, I'm not disagreeing with it totally. I think I've just heard more stories of points not... I don't know if it's just being, like I said, biased or the person, individual talking, they're telling me about this, but take out like stalling, for example. Right. This is my next point. <laughs> well, uh, do you know what? You go on to the next point. No, well, I it. just... The, the last the last sub-only match... Sub-only, no time limit, is obviously... Oh, uh, no one wants it. No one wants it as no a spectator, it. but it obviously is deciding who's better at jiu-jitsu on the day. Like, it's you can't weird. get around it. I know it becomes a battle of attrition, where they call it, like a... Just yeah, a cardio battle. It's, it's really, it's like two and a half hours. I was speaking to... You can't, you can't run a tournament like that. It's impossible. Ash, that was it. Ashley Bendel from Dre bumped into, obviously, at Grapple Fest, and we were talking about how they were making time limits for different sort of federations and that yeah. type of stuff. And they were like, we don't want to do 15 minutes. Yeah? Yeah. Like, give us five minutes, yeah? Because you give me 15 minutes, I'm going to game plan for that 15 minutes, Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm going to stand for the first five, call guard for the last, and then we come back to standing again in the last five, right? By me having that mindset, I'm chilling the fuck out, right? I ain't going to be going fucking hell for ever 15 minutes. No one can fucking do it, no. type of thing. So, um, so, so if you can't have no time limit, you can't run an event like that. Nope. That one where they literally took it out into the back. Oh, it's hilarious. Like, it's like it's WWE. Like, oh, it's, we'll, we'll check in with them later yeah, in a day or two. It's like Gordon's fight, and they're like, what's happening on the other map? Oh, no, they're still in this weird position. Yeah, yeah. Nothing's happening. Yeah. <laughs> they've, got their, they've got their carb. You know, they've got their, one of those like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, liquid carb things going on um, so you can't you can't you can't do that you can't do no time limit uh, ref's decision I think basically comes down to a point system that's in a ref's head so it's basically like a, a substitute for points but it basically is the same sort of like criteria yeah but it's subjective so I'd argue that's probably not even as good and then you've got the EBI style which is now the unified Ooh. And it's like you saw Felipe Pena versus Craig, and he's explicitly said, "I'm just stalling until we can get to the OT rounds because I know I can do more yeah. right time limit." And that's the main event, that's the headlining I fight. Think. And he says, "I'm turning up to not do jujitsu and then just do more right time because well, that's how I'm going to get the win." Honest, I think with Nicky Rod getting the win right for that tournament, yeah, everyone said the same thing in the sense that he played his style, which basically attributed to him going to overtime rules, and then he was just doing his thing. A lot right. of people are doing that. It's the safest way. Yeah. The, and the, the way. thing is, is that for me as a jiu-jitsu practice, practitioner, I like the idea of seeing Big Dan, for example. Yes, obviously. If you took his frame away, yeah. right, but his attribute, like his skill level was there and stuff like that, yeah, 
he had some very good subs, mm. and he subs twice on the lead up to his third match with Nicky. Yeah, yeah, and to the point where he, I think Nicky passed his, he went into side control, went into mount, and then came back off to make himself look active. I think it was in the match, remember rightly. Mm-hmm. And Big Dan just led there, literally just like you're doing nothing. Like, mm. This is absolutely pointless, and so. Again, that rule set's obviously again. It's tricky because I understand what they're trying to do with the overtime rules, which seem pretty cool. But at the same time, they've now been it worked. Abused. Ori- it worked early on until people realised a bunch of people realised that they could abuse it. Basically, get really good at escaping back yeah. control fast. Yep, and that's, and that's your path. You have got to do your path to victory. And that's if you're an athlete. Well, is it jiu-jitsu? That's a good question in itself. Because if you're able to escape the back really quickly. I like, Surely I like, that's an advantage to your game. I liked Gordon's point. It's like, we're just doing more jiu-jitsu. People are escaping back, escaping, you know, mm. or holding it. This is good technique, uh, but it's, if you're just training specifically for that, then you're just binning off 10 minutes to get there. And as a spectator, yeah. it's like, that's... And then you look at... You can, you can trust that with the Worlds this year in the Gi, and there's loads of subs, loads of really exciting matches. Adam Wojcicki's comeback against uh, Felipe Andrew is one of the best matches I've ever seen. Mm. And it's like back and forth. And he's down like 9-0, and then it's like a minute left. Yeah. It's one of the most exciting matches I've ever seen. I thought, if there's OT rounds and they got, he's good at escaping, yeah. why do anything? Just no, stall yeah, for 10 minutes. It's, I think if you compartmentalise it into separate sections, right, then I think just the overtime rules by themselves could actually attribute to people's jiu-jitsu game. It's no different, obviously. Just good to train it. Good to train. Like, oh, well, again, we've all talked about infamous armbar escapes and having that trusted partner not to fucking destroy your arm in seconds type thing. Yeah. But it's useful to train type thing. The problem is then people have now abused it. It's kind of like people, the idea of ADCT rule set. The idea being there's no points in the first 10 minutes was to encourage people to be more active and get yeah. into the dominant position. Now it, it, it did work for a while. Worked for a while, but now it's just become 10 minutes of stalling. Yeah. Before our points. And you can get play. infiltrated more and more by a really, really good base wrestler. Mm. And he could come and body lock past you and yeah. body lock past you and just sit there. Yeah. And um, it's, it's a debate. The yeah. points versus sub only. I, I, I get it. And I think, like I said, there's arguments to both sides of it. And I think. The, uh, well, what was your next point then about stalling? It was about stalling. I yeah. think, uh, how did I write it here? I think personally, uh, stalling, I've written here, as a skill. <laughs> <laughs> stalling as a skill yeah. is an important part of the game to learn. Ooh. Like in training as well. I like that. So like that as a lot. spectator of the sport, it's shit. It's death. You yeah. can't just watch somebody stall, uh, not naming names as certain. Ho- camps in certain um, academies in, in America whose whole game was based around getting early points at the Black Belt Division, uh, blasting people in the first two minutes, getting a takedown, and then just sitting on them. See, it's frustrating. Um, we had two guys, obviously, uh, Wilson and Carson went to the Worlds and basically had that outcome done to them. Yep. I've seen it um, loads of times. And it seems like that is the general rule of thumb to be doing this to get you to the position where you need to be mm. and then start playing jiu-jitsu at the higher level. Like you get, you get through to the quarters or the semis, like, oh, we're going to play jiu-jitsu now type thing. Yeah. Um, but stalling just to get to, it's the same thing. It seems like everyone's just abusing the rule set now talking about this out loud, right? EBI, I'm just going to stall until I get to the EBI rules. All oh, right, IBJJF, I'm just going to basically stall until I get to the points where it gets a little bit more noticeable. Yeah. yeah. ADCC, same thing. It's a bit, a bit of a shame. Um, but in the, in the club, when you're training for events, but just as a skill, even if you're not competing, the, yeah. what I've noticed getting to black belt, when I was trying to get to black belt or brown belt, when I was rolling with black belts at certain open mats that were beating me, 
I could see what they were doing, and the, the, the biggest thing when people are good, when they're a good level black belt, is they can shut you down. Mm. They can shut you down, they can shut your game down almost indefinitely. Yeah. So you can't really, you know, they never give you the ball to play sort of thing. And so they can turn on the offense, but then you're sort of open. It's like leg locks, they say you have to, you don't technically have to, but you have to give a leg to get a leg sort of yeah. thing. Offense is always going to be open and you, are, you can lock people down and you're not doing anything, mm. but you're stopping them. But I think as a skill, you have to be able to shut someone down and then you choose when you're going yeah. to do offense. You, you set the pace of the match. Yeah. It doesn't mean go and stall for 10 minutes, but it's a skill I don't think... What is it? So is it? It's a skill for 10 minutes. It's a skill you need to require. If you can lock someone down for 10 minutes, <laughs> yeah. then you can do it for 30 seconds while you get a breath and then move to your next attack sort yeah, of thing. But yeah. I don't think people train it at all with yeah, that in mind. I think now, now you kind of pitch in a slightly different manner, right? Again. It's not for... Spe- it's not for sp- you know, being a spectator of a sport, that no, is awful. it's not. I, I remember one match in particular against a guy who was like a powerlifter from Wales, and he was big, fucking mm. big. Right, I was taller than him, but he was just big, um, stacks as fuck. And I was up by two points, right. And every time I was trying to evade him, I was getting like just getting basically pummeled, like jumps back on, and I was like, right, I'm getting to turtle each time. It's fine. It's just whole turtle. Yep. And I think it was like a minute thirty left on the clock, and I looked over, I saw us two points up. I'm like. Corner's like, oh, roll out. I'm like, no, no. I'm sitting there because yeah. if I roll out, I know he's just basically going to try and rhinoceros me and just come straight charging at me again, <laughs> yeah. type thing. And then it's 50 50 as to where that position's going to be, right? Am I going to be lucky enough to, be able to get back in the closed guard and keep working from there? Or I can just look like I'm moving in the turtle position right now. Sorry, viewers, obviously, maybe you completely slandering me in the comments for this, but that was just the idea. I was like, I want the win. It's got yeah. to be done. It's, it's got to be done. done. And so, winning's a skill. I think stalling's a part of it. Yeah, I think it's been, I think it's, Tactical storing, but unfortunately, it's trying to do it in the right place at the right time. But I, I, I just think, like I said, the good black belts I train with have that skill in the back pocket if they need it. Mm. And, I, and I think people are so like uh, against it as a, as a spectator of the sport that people think, well, that's you know, I'm always going to be open every moment of every role in the club, and so everything's flowy and rolly and mm. transitions to different positions, and you're always kind of exposed all the time. It kind of opens up the conversation then, is it down to obviously the opti- the, uh, your opponent then, if you're, if you're closing it down rather than stalling, right? Because it's, it's like a negative context and a positive. You That's what I mean, yeah, maybe I should word it differently. Stalling would be a bit more negative, yeah. right? It's you as a protect- practitioner then obviously to then overcome that, right? It's like... That's it, what I mean, the other side of it defensively is good to have people stall you out and have to try and break them open and break them open because you can we've all been there with someone who's got a ridiculously tight turtle yeah. right and, yeah, 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 and they're yeah, yeah. just not moving for the life of it hey it's boring as shit we all fucking hate it yeah. but to some degree it then highlights that are your techniques not good enough to break this turtle yeah. and get into a better position so yeah. i don't know i think it's a tricky one it's a very contextual sort of like argument again depending on the circumstance no one will see it done at ibjjf where people just sit in stall and close guard for and had two points to get to the next round. It's very fucking boring jujitsu. But yeah. at the end of the day, I think we all, I, a bit of a slight tangent, but it was watching the recent UFC event, right? Good card. However, there's only one fight that got me on the edge of my seat. Like, what the fuck's going on here? Okay. And this was Dan Hooker versus the Spider, I think his name was, right? Or the Tarantula. On the edge of my seat. Fucking amazing. And it was like, what about the rest of the card? Do you not enjoy it? I said, yeah, but it wasn't Robbie Lawler versus like Rory McDonald type <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I then came to realize that oh, am I now much. am I now looking for like something to always surpass these fights for me to be like, right. oh my god, this is the best thing. Yeah, 
And I think that's as, as spectators and fans of different sports that sometimes we the want ramping to, up. You always want you want something more than what you've seen already. I just always left yeah. the jujitsu. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I always scrub along the UFC. I'm like, oh, they went to the ground. Back up yeah. a little bit. How did they go to the ground? Okay, have a look at that. Um, and it's the same thing when it comes to flow, it comes to IBJJF, Grapple Fest, that type of thing. I there, think there's no perfect rule set. No. It just doesn't exist. And I think it's then we're kind of yearning for that next big thing, right? And unfortunately, we all cringe when we see an arm break or a leg break or something like this, yeah? But again, it'll come to a point where when that becomes like the only thing that we're now seeing all the time. That's the only thing people want, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, where does that then go from there type Those thing. clips go viral, they you know? They do, they do. But, but any time they try and make a rule set that gets rid of stalling I think it's like you see Quintet in Japan mm -hmm. some of the stalling calls it's like you've got Gordon Ryan mounted someone hunting subs and they're like action and they stand them up and he's like what are you talking about and he's like well you were in mount for 30 seconds he's like yeah but I was I got to high mount I had his arm well, right. it's like no we want action we just want to see flying arm bars and if you're not doing that I'll get your opinions on our rule set for our little thing that we're doing. So, um, Wicked. Yeah, that'll be cool. What have we got next? Any more on the list? So some of these are defendable. <laughs> <laughs> some of them less so. This one might get me in trouble. BJJ has almost no application for self-defense. Shut, shut the camera off. That's all why, going. Why, you sound like Andrew Tate here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... Break it down. Go on. I think the situation you have to be in I think I think it's got application for any fight that you could have just walked away from mm. I think if it's two people you know antagonize each other matching their energies coming up to here and it's a one-on-one -on -one thing I've been in loads of situations that I walked away from if I didn't jiu-jitsu probably would have come into play yeah the stuff that you would walk away from but you can't like Physically, you're in a place where you can't, or there's multiple people, or they got weapons or something. Yep. This is where this is where I think it all breaks down. I think the stuff that you can't walk away from mm. has to be so specific. Like I say, one on one, no weapons, no friends coming along the way. Environmental stuff. You're not. There's not Did broken glass all over the floor. Sure, I'm sure this is what Tate fucking said. I'm, I'm sure of it. He's like, oh yeah, you pull someone to the ground, that type of thing. Your mate comes in and stamps on your head. What are you gonna do then? Well, part break? part of it is not even that. I don't think you could win the fight. I just think winning a fight, you still like. You see Andrew Wiltsey on YouTube talking about yes, when so, you're doing door work. Yeah, you ain't pulling guard. Like, <laughs> well, he said even if you double leg someone, you've just exploded your knee on the ground. Yeah, like if your knee touched the ground, he said you end up with these fights covered in. Gashes. Once of bruises yeah. yourself to the point it was like who even won? We're all just just rolling around on concrete. We're all destroyed, mm. and uh, and then they just come back with weapons. And if they really wanted to have a pop at you and you wanted to walk away, and the sort of person that will not leave that alone is yeah. going to come back with people. And it's going to, you, you see him in town, and you, you know I'm still there with my kids, and I've got to avoid people. Yeah. And it's like, what situation could you not walk away from that you would have to use this? Mm. Full, I thought about kids like I couldn't run away if my kids were there or walk away yeah. but um, it has to be so specific to the point where it's like and then you have the whole additional conversation of what's martial arts if there's a if there's a bar where it always kicks off after midnight from this bar and you're in that bar it's like what's he doing did you want to get swept up into that brawl that happens yeah. every Friday night and it's like isn't that part of your self-defense mm. I watched one guy that talks a lot about like um he was like a professional uh, negotiator, so it was all about de-escalation with... Okay. And I have a lot of people that... I've got friends that even go to clubs and do like knife defence and things like this. Yes, yeah, so there's combat jiu-jitsu up at Impact, so... Um, oh, there's, where's that as well? Yeah, so a uh, guy called Jane Newton, I think is one of their black belts type yeah. of thing. So he talks about how their training is 
Very varied to the sense that they will drill scenarios where there's three on one, two on one, oh, five, okay. all That's this cool. type of stuff. Um, See, three on one, I just think I lose. <laughs> there's just no. Yeah, or like if someone's mounted you with like a, a weapon or something yeah, like yeah. this, or going through, and so. It's quite funny because we always joke every time I see him, he ends up doing something stupid. Like, he'll purposely like, smother my mouth, for example. Uh, yeah, or, what do you do? What yeah, do you do? Yeah. And he's just like, oh, what are you doing now? Or again, he'll be like, oh, like you're just like for a little body shot here and there type of thing. Nothing major, but it's just like, it's funny. And it, I always joke about him and uh, about how he sort of takes it a little bit, not too far, it's not the wrong word, but he just goes always above and beyond every time. <laughs> and he explains about the way that they kind of teach stuff is that they also talk about de escalation tactics, about matching people's energy. Yeah, as but, well. but, but what percentage do you? You don't give your time to each like the de-escalation and the verbal tactics like no one does it's like you say you're in this for self I know people that exclusively train for self-defense mm. and it's like you don't know anything about the mental side of it not matching people's energy de-escalating most people want to win a fight without having the fight they just want you to walk off and go yeah you walk away but then there's the it's other like, argument let them have I it think, just walk off I think there's the other argument behind it which in terms of self-defense, right, there's an element of confidence needed, obviously, to initiate any of that if it's required, right? Yeah. And also the realization that we're not made of glass. Because some yeah. people would back down from a scenario which they may, I'm not, so not encouraging people to back down from scenarios, they may end up backing down from a scenario which they're not in the wrong, right? There is a point where it's like, I'm here as well, I don't have to leave. Yeah. But then, um, maybe, maybe it's kids that's changed it, you know? If I went home and I, was, I got into a fight because my ego told me, <laughs> You know, while well, I'm in this bar too, you can't tell me where to go. I'm a karate black belt, I'll kick your ass. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Son. I, I, I train UFC. Yeah. <laughs> I train UFC, I love that. Yeah, but I, I don't know, maybe I'm, I had a situation literally a couple of weeks ago with some kid who was behind me in the car, in a Tesco's car park, mm. kicked off or I got too close to him, he like, tried to nip behind me right at the last minute, I was like, sorry mate. He kicked off when I parked the car, I sat there for a minute, and he was walking up to the car like, go on then, what's happening here, sort of thing. I think there was two of them. Yep. In my head, I'm like, I think he, he, was, he, was, he looked a bit young. He's about 19 or something. He wasn't very big. And I was like, I sat, I've got my baby on board sign on my, on my family wagon. I'm like, do I get out of my car in a Tesco's car park? It's like, yeah. I'm like, I don't think I would have struggled to take this, this kid down and like yeah. done jujitsu on him. But it's like, I can just also drive away. Yeah. And it's like self-defense is like what you're actually trying to do. And yeah. then you've got the extremes of the Leandro Lowe's when it's like, you can take someone down and mount them and they come back with a weapon, it's like, you can't really win a fight. Do you no, know what I mean? You can't. It's, like, it's, it's contextual, again, obviously, with a lot of these things. And I think jiu-jitsu, the way it's growing, I think it's moving away from the self-defense element. Definitely. It, right? And that you don't... The sport keeps people interested. Keeps yeah. people interested. It's a good sport to be having. I think there's elements of self-defense which are very useful, but there's elements as well which need to be contextualize to say that you are not pulling guard on someone right you are not going to go and leg lock someone right yeah, but even though it would work yeah you know what i mean like it an average work. person i could pull guard on take, and take, it would work take matt sarah i'm sure you've seen that video clip of him in vegas just mounting someone yeah and holding them there and ryan hall did it yep and, that's and it's just the case of like saying they're not there going from mount to taking the back or bearing bone in them or anything like this type of thing and like controlling their back they're just there saying look i'm Very safe simple, because yeah. I'm very far away from you. I'm controlling your hands. 
and we're waiting There's for no him. video, but then Leandro Lowe did the same, right? Yeah. I mean, I know Sao Paulo is a very different place. Well, but. exactly. There's loads of little clips. I think there's a guy, YouTube channel, like, vlogger that I follow, and he says that he's there in certain countries, and they're like, the, he's like, tall guys, like, put the camera down. It's like, oh, okay, puts the camera down, come back up. It's like, yeah, we had other people just drive past with guns and weapons and all this type of stuff, and they just wouldn't like this. Is this, this uh, Indigo Traveler? Might be. Yeah, I've been watching him a lot. Yeah, yeah he great. comes up a lot. He's, he's, I think he's in Colombia or something like this, or something yeah. like that. It's mental, but. Uh, any more on the list, or are you, or are you all done? The, the last one's probably the worst one. Oh, the best one, the best for last. Uh, testing. Oh, so we kind of touched on this briefly. Uh, we take what is offline. We're not offline. But yeah, offline. Privately. Off, privately. Uh, testing. So obviously we're talking about drug testing and that type of stuff. Yep. Yeah. I think it should be. I know the sport hasn't got all the money, right? So I'm not I'm not trying to be naive to this, but I think it's growing, and I think more money will be coming this way, right? As things obviously start to escalate and get better and bigger, I think it should be the responsibility of potentially these pro athletes, right, to pay for their own random drug testing. Okay. Now each test costs. So about we're already past. Do you think it's good to test? Yeah. 100%. So that's where I was like, good or bad. I think we should be able to allow to, it's kind of like a safe sex talk, right? In the sense that we speak to multiple different people who reach out to us online and sort of say this and think, I'm thinking about doing this, I'm thinking about doing that, right? And obviously there's a purpose to it. And again, most of the people when they're asking and thinking about doing it, they've already decided in their head they're going to be doing it. Okay? Yeah, they just want to do it safe. They just want to do it. And that, that's my argument is that you speak to a lot of people who have done stuff, right? I'm sure you've seen this within gyms, but it's also very common within the jiu-jitsu world, right? Oh, what's blood work? I'm like, you yeah, know, yeah. You know, you've got no idea. And I'm like, yeah. that is the condom in this fucking safe sex talk here, right. yeah? We need to see what you're naturally doing, yeah? Before we start just injecting whatever the fuck we're doing, yeah? Now, obviously when people are getting this from other people, it will legitimize what it is, yeah? It will show you exactly if it is real. It's happened to me previously. I'm quite open about to say this. So I got sold dodgy stuff years ago and I looked at my blood work and it shows that my testosterone hasn't increased. And I'm like, what's going on here? You start getting horse symptoms. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell now? This is the face of podcasting, as I say. Um, so, yeah, all of a sudden it's like, okay, it helps with that. It allows you to look at other health markers. Yeah. Okay. That impacts it. And I think, is it good for the sport? No, it's not. Because I think it's not, it's going to be, it's, when you're getting other athletes out there take things like Tren, right? Which has nothing to do with this sport. That is pure bodybuilding, right? yep, which yeah, is where yeah. a lot of people are getting information and advice from, from training, for example. Don't yeah. hear Chris Bump said so he wouldn't touch it and he's literally a professional bodybuilder. Yeah, so. Exactly. And so yet yeah, you're seeing, again, not to stereotype, but some Brazilian athletes getting caught with it. It's like, well, what do you expect? Like, this is yeah. just stupid. Um, and that's where I feel like more support, more information, more people need to be talking about it openly rather than it being this deep, dark secret that no one discusses. So what do you think about testing in what IBGF would just started doing? Obviously, if they had more budget, we'd want everyone to test everyone. They've got more budget, they have, right? They've got right. plenty of money behind it. ADCC have plenty of money behind them, right? They are using USADA, right, but not. Uh, it's like a very IBJJF limited thing. They're using USADA, and it's for certain people who are depending where they place, from right. what I understand. I yes, think if you're going to go, I think as a pro, right, I think if we talk about this hypothetical scenario, you, you get pro status, mm. yeah? It means it allows you to go to IBJJF events, it allows you to go to AJP, ADCC, all this type of stuff. But you've registered as pro, like a pro boxer, like a pro MMA guy, you need to go and get head scans. Yeah. Right, okay. And I think a pot of money needs to go to USADA as the athlete, right, to then get you tested randomly throughout the year. Yeah, so you have to test that once. We're not talking a thousand pounds each and every time, yeah? 
Do then we are cool. You've done a random drug test. You've passed the drug test. Everyone's on the same level. Yeah. So we're already past the like. Should you? Also, I thought the unpopular side of it because I'm pro testing. Mm -hmm. I thought most people. In jiu-jitsu, especially, but in sport in general, are coming down on this argument of just, if you don't test anyone, then we, we have even the playing field because everyone can just free reign, everyone can do all that. that. You see it in other sports, except for maybe MMA, people are more, I remember the Ronda Rousey argument is like, we're literally in the sport of damage. So if you give me any performance edge, I'm just hurting people better. And should we maybe try and keep it at this level instead of ramping that up? Because uh, you still get the sporting outcomes. You still get the wins and the losses. Yeah. Um, jiu-jitsu, you're not really hurting anyone. Arguably, no, but it's, it's the level of amount. There's an argument to say that some people So again, don't get me wrong. You asked me tomorrow, I might change my kind of stance right. altogether, but not massively, I'd say, but it depends on my guts and feelings, obviously, at the time. There's an argument to say that the amount of training that's needed for them to do this, yeah, obviously their recovery time is going to be hindered. And so if they're competing every week on these big shows to try and make dollar, basically, mm. yeah, not even guaranteed with this, with some of the sort of like GP tournaments, that type of stuff. Yeah. yeah then they obviously need to be able to be able to look after themselves yeah um it's a tricky one because i think the biggest thing that i try and think of long term right is how is it going to affect the youth of the jiu-jitsu community well this is where i got to with yeah. kids and everything like i was speaking to you on, on instagram when it was wagner hoja and, and cyborg and there's an argument it's remember like anderson silver back in the day People like you've got all that wealth of knowledge, you've got all that experience, you've mm. got years and years behind, you've got all that skill, technical skill. Essentially, going to, by the time you accrue all of that, your mm. body starts failing on you, you can't, yeah. you know, fatigue management goes out the window, gets into his 40s, and it's like, we just want him to, if we could just get his recovery back to like his 30s, you've got all of that knowledge that yeah. you can put back into the, into the machine. If you look at the UFC, they got to a good level, I feel. I'm not saying they, yeah. they cover everyone, right? But then obviously they put the money into it to go and test them independently. It's then, I think for me, logically to verify it would be to see how much the UFC is turning over in comparison to IBJJF or UCC. I mean, even where it is now, where they're only testing the, the number one spot mm. isn't ideal for just pure fairness sake mm. but still I would prefer it exists than not yeah I'd prefer it to be there I don't know if it would encourage the person who came in second to then go oh, I'm going to take more to get that spot even if they didn't test if they did if, if the number just one roll the dice but, just, yeah. I mean it was I was sort of on board with everyone else where it was like just open it up when it was TRT conversations and uh, that conversation 43 year olds remember and it was like what's Charles Sennon running like four times the amount of the average person type yeah. thing and then he talks about John Jones being like you know when you you know your people and he grabbed me and I felt fucking weak type thing and I was just like Jesus Christ what are you on um, it's like what is TRT yeah but, um, but it was Mika for me it was Mika because yeah. like uh yeah, well, you're popping at 18, so he's definitely on climbing at like 17. And then there's speculation it was between like 13 and 15 he hopped on stuff. And you're like, obviously his dad's his coach, and it's like who knows what in his gym. And uh, I got kids, I got two boys, mm. only one and two now. But you know, kids of parents who train like me and I'm obsessed with jujitsu might do something in the sport one day. It's not he might not get into it at all. If he decides he wants to train every day like a maniac and make it like a like a thing, like a like a will, like a like a someone who wants to do it all the time yep. and take it seriously and hit the comps, to know that barrier of entry is there, there's no one more naturally talented than Mika Garval. Like he is like mm. the most naturally gifted and person I've ever that's, seen. That's the point. Of the, the, and he, the he still feels like he has to do that. Yeah, and that's the problem. But then again, I, 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 
try and sit in everyone's shoes in terms of from their perspective, right? And we have cases within boxing, within cornermen sort of saying, have the special water bottle quickly, right? And it being laced with cocaine, right? Mm. For them to be like, right, we're getting fired up, ready for the next round type things. So that's been going on for years. Mm. There's always situations with that. And you'll see athletes will consider trying to get that extra edge performance, mm -hmm. right? Even if they think it's legal or not. And you obviously get parents with that encouragement as well, right? And depending on who you've got around it with you, the environment that you're in, the place that you live type of stuff. You and me both know if we went to Mexico or Thailand, you can get as much testosterone as you want completely free of charge. Well, not free of charge, you've got to pay for it. There's no legalities around yeah. it. Yeah. So it's then one of those things then saying, okay, whose responsibility is it? Because was he aware? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a slightly different, I guess, conversation if it's like coach, athlete, there's some it's been known, for example, answer. like there'll be Russian athletes, so again, not to stereotype this, but yeah. rubbing in oils uh, into the gymnast, which was yeah, yeah. testosterone and stuff like this. So it, it, it's a tricky one. In the steam, in the steam rooms, I've heard this. Yeah, breathe soaking in it. But they, I mean, but it's still sort of the same argument because if the coach feels like, like if his dad feels like Mika needed that, mm. I think what I said to you uh, privately was it's the ramping up effect. If there's no testing, see, this exists as like, it's not to get rid of PEDs because you're not going to. No. It, but it keeps it at a level where people can go, wow, Mika, if he didn't have that doctor's note, would have got three-year suspension. But then is it, does it get a bit more deeper than this, right? And this comes back to the Olympic testing level, geopolitical power. Yeah. And, and you're not going to stop it. Right. Like it's so going, it's going to exist. all of a sudden, if you... So to give you an idea, so when they had the Russian Federation that were obviously enhancing all the athletes as much as possible, right? Mm -hmm. The idea being was to actually win more votes within the political system for Russia, if it was for Putin actually, he was on low on the points at the time, okay. right? Within the community, winning the Winter Olympics at that time, mm -hmm. put his points up massively. He then obviously went and invaded, I think it was Georgia at the time, right? right. To be able to go and do this big movement. But the Olympics was there, yeah? All of a sudden, if you've got one of your pride and joys of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, yeah? Do you want him to be losing? I, yeah, I see what you mean. So is there is there a motive behind it? It's obviously, again, IBJJF being obviously Brazilian-based and everything like this. That yeah. Again, you look at his ban as well. There's no favouritism, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Poor <her. laughs> um, So, yeah. It's... But I just think it keeps it on a... It, keeps it, on a, it doesn't get rid of it. Mm. The current state, maybe not ADCC, it's getting a bit crazy, but IBJJF, when they sort of cycling off stuff, if my kid came to me and was like, I want to make a crack at the world's, if we had to take what people are taking now at the Worlds, it would be like, well, I know that's not mm. bodybuilder level no. crazy. Because the t natural bodybuilding comps, people take stuff, right? They, they're trying to... Yeah, they do. So testing. There is testing. And so it's interesting enough that even pre-workouts, they were advised to take, not take certain things a week before to keep out of their system. But people still yeah. skirt the rules. People on sounds yeah. and things. There's, there's things they try and... You know, I get think, out of the system quick and compete. I think in summary, mate, it's people taking advantage of the rules, basically. And that's been the case throughout this whole podcast, if I'm honest, is that it's just people looking at the rules and kind of trying to bend them and work to their sort of angle in their way. Yep. I think that's the problem nowadays, that everyone's trying to gain an advantage rather than necessarily do the basics and just be good at what they're doing. Yep. And unfortunately, what it takes is for one bad egg to necessarily sort of say, right, I'm going to do more than the rest of it. And then people catch one. And then someone will do this. And keep on doing it this they'll become a ceiling of it right? my, my kid came to me and said i want to be a professional bodybuilder i'd be like i can't get behind that because what it's like these days yep. insulin and yep. people Everything dying in hotels the day before and diuretics and stuff I'm like i can't yeah. be like, i can't be like yeah great go for it 
And if jiu-jitsu is not tested like ADCC, mm. ADCC is what it is now. And you get Muhammad Ali look, looking like a house the day off and you're like, what yeah. is going on? In five, ten years' time, if it really takes off spectator sport wow. and you get like NFL-level athletes being like, I'll have a pop, I'll just learn some wrestling or whatnot. And it's like, what is it going to be in ten years with no testing? It's going to be pride. It's going to be pride. It's going to be pride again. But at the same and, and if your kid comes to you, it's like, yeah, go and do pride. It's like... See when you're 50. It's hard, mate. So you, you know, you say five, ten years time. Obviously, they're moving it down to being the T-Mobile Arena. That's a big, big. When step there's money up. involved and no yeah. testing. Yeah, it's interesting. So low-level testing, crappy testing, only only testing the number one spot. Mm. Not ideal, but it just keeps PDs like here rather than sky's the limit. Yeah, it's, um, it's hard. It's just I think it comes very similar to uh, I'll summarize with this point is that there's an argument that the American government allow a certain amount of drugs to come into the country so the Mexican cartel don't kick off. Okay. Right. It's okay. like that whole level of like, we don't test, it keeps it a little bit lower rather than people trying to exaggerate. Like, uh, right. Okay. Do you see what I mean? Like allowing an yeah. element of it, but not too much. But so well, it wasn't that controversial then. I thought that might no, be. No, we, we had a comment this morning on one of the reels and I was like, I've already been thinking about that type of subject type of thing altogether. But Okay, that's cool. Uh, any more controversial stuff? I think I, I think I tapped out. I think I just like stopped writing. I just probably could kept going forever, but... Well, we've got a couple more questions, mate. So we'll do the one which was from the previous guest, right? If you had to change the name of Jiu-Jitsu, right, to describe it to a person who's never heard of it, what would you call it and why? I don't know. Uh, what's that? What's that? Um, what's that thing people call it? Like death yoga or something? Like, <laughs> what's, what's the saying? Someone calls it like murder yoga or something. Yoga. I don't know. I thought that was quite cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's go with that. Murder yoga. Murder yoga. Yeah. That's, that's the question I was thinking in my head. I was like, I don't know how I was answer that. Yeah. That's the average person. Like, how would you describe jujitsu without calling it jujitsu? Yeah, murder yoga. I guess you do yoga on your own though. So. Maybe it's like twi- more like Twister. Twister with consequences. Twister. Murder Twister. All right, Murder the, Twister. Yeah. Murder yeah. Twister. Yeah. I love that. Um, final question for you, mate, which is kind of our staple question, which came from one of the previous questions that we had. Not okay. Getting it confusing, but what is uh, which failure do you cherish the most? Failure, jujitsu wise. Anything. Mate. Anything. Jujitsu could be anything else. My worst failure that I cherish the most, that I've kind of learned from, I guess. Yeah. I think it was the late teens, early 20s, when it was all health in the toilet, mental panic attacks, all that stuff. No one teaches you that stuff. There's no education in school about get a workout in. It'll make you feel better. Yeah. There's nothing like that. So I guess going through that and then stumbling on workouts, nutrition, and that sort of stuff. I guess I got so hardcore into it because of that 10 years that was a bit rough. So maybe that's kind of like a life failure, that decade of just kind of like treading, treading water in a, in, a, in a bad state. Dan Schaus mentioned that you kind of grow up twice. You have the, okay. you have the growing up phase with your, uh, with your parents looking after you, this type of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. you get into your early teens and responsibility gets put onto you to some degree. Yep. And then you end up going through the same learning again. Right, yeah. at the point where you realise all the oh, stuff they didn't teach you at school yeah and the idea being like, oh my parents sent me a bedtime because it makes me feel good the next day oh man when I first got to my own flat the diet Jesus that everything was, goes out the window yeah. it was like no one can tell me what no. I can't eat and, I've, and I'm such a like a and now all binge of a sudden, eater like, yeah. and it's then like then, curries four times a week it was yeah. like and now all of a sudden we're back to the point of like, actually, hold on, I can't be doing this. this there's a reason why I can't be doing I, this. I definitely consider that a failure, just going off the rails like that yeah. for a solid at least five years and then correcting it. Well, actually, speaking of you, I forgot to ask this question. So um, 
once you uh, <laughs> had some good submission or you got your next uh, jiu-jitsu competition win at Black Belt, what's, I, the, what's the post-comp meal going to be? Dominoes. I mean, I, I just, like I say, I eat clean, nice, good, healthy diet and then I just bang in chocolate. <laughs> it's just chocolate. What dominoes, just, what dominoes is it? Uh, dominoes is uh, meat. Just all the meat. All the meat. All the meat. I'm going to edit that in, just all the meat. <laughs> just, or just put every type of meat you can put on it. That's uh, yeah, doesn't make me feel good. The amount of salt and that doesn't make me feel great the next day. But no, not at all. Well, we've already done your grip strength test off camera, so we'll put the leaderboard up at some point. Oh, so I don't, it's embarrassing. It. It's fine, it's no problem. Uh, a couple of things from us. One from our sponsors, Grappler Soap Mates. That is Oh, amazing. You. Okay. Oh, we didn't get into that, how I might need that with the uh, old itch thing. That's fine. I've obviously messaged a few people about that. It's fine. Little patch, you go on the gear if you're allowed to wear it. And wicked, stuff. wicked, um, man. Awesome. Uh, and then, yeah, obviously, if you've got any other questions in the future, obviously, you know where I am. You always just hit me up and everything. But it's been great having you on, dude, and just really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me.